This is Eric Panza, and you're listening to the Section 109 Podcast. This episode of the Section 109 Podcast is brought to you by Operation Get Active. Operation Get Active uses the game of soccer to encourage young people in Chattanooga to live active, healthy lifestyles. Welcome into the... Section 109 podcast. Woo, I'm your wow. producer, Jay, starting it off hot with a crackle. Um, I'm going to pass this to my co-host, Breezy, and we're going to get started. This is Breezy. I'm here with Matt and our special guest, Eric Panzer. What's up, Eric? Not much. Pleasure well, to be here. Welcome to the studio. It's a, it's a very, very special studio. Obviously not the guest room in Jay's house. And we're sorry for the blindfolds and the pans and pots and everything that we beat around you so that you didn't know where you were while we were driving. But we couldn't have you know confiscated his phone so you won't be able to look at it later you all know. the usual stuff yeah so uh as we dive in here this is your first year at chattanooga football club but this is not your first year playing soccer not not only professionally but uh, you have a long uh a long career professionally uh, so let's start though at the very beginning did you start playing soccer as a kid uh wh- where did that start and uh, i guess just start taking us through please yeah i I think the first age I really played was about six years old. Um, my father was from the Netherlands, so European descent, um, and he didn't force me to play football. I call it football. Um, you call it whatever you want. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I was offered to play all sports growing up. They always had different things laying around, tennis rackets, um, soccer balls, footballs, uh, cricket, volleyball, rugby, everything under the sun, and I guess I just played football the longest and was able to see through as I grew up. So that's, yeah, started when I was six. Of it, course you have, yeah. Now, you grew up in New Zealand. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And what is your, what do you think your best sport was? Was it soccer? Um, I probably reached my highest heights in tennis. Um, really? Yeah, I but I retired from it at the age of 14 um, because of too much self-pressure. Um, so that would that was probably my... Most successful at that age, yeah. Um, but football, just because of the longevity of, of playing it, sure. I've, I've reached sure. some good heights with it too. So so you were six. Did you did get thrust immediately into some sort of club and organized, or were you just playing with your friends in the street? Um, not quite in the street. More so if we were playing, it would have been on the farm, in the backyard. Um, but a bit of a rural setting. A very rural setting for me, at least. I grew up on 20 acres. Were there sheep around? We have sheep Sorry. on our farm, definitely. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that was kind of a low one. Uh, I mean, what? There's uh, at least 20 sheep to every one person in New Zealand, so it's a fair enough shout. Um, but yeah, I played with my primary school. Okay. Um, that was probably my first club. They were called Waimea Plains. It was a, a green and white striped shirt. Um, and your dad, or my first coach was actually not my dad. He came in a bit later. Mm. Um, but my first coach still claims as much credit as she can <laughs> to it all. And, and your first coach was a lady. It was, yes. That's Anthe- nice. Anthea Goodman, shout out to you. Still a family friend. Um, so, yeah, that was where it really all began. Um, but I played all sorts of sports throughout my primary and, and high school years. It wasn't really until I left high school that f- football was the only one left as such. Um I played at least four or five sports in high school. So, um, yeah, it's just been the long game. In New Zealand, is it like the U.S. where you play on your high school team or you play club? Like, how does that work? 
Um, for me, the high school that I went to wasn't really a sports-related high school. It was more an arts high school. So it, my football was more focused in club. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. We never really qualified to go to nationals for the high school or anything like that, whereas other high schools in the regions did go to national tournament stuff. But my focus was mostly on club stuff. We'd play like a, an exchange every year with a different uh, school in the region or whatever and would muster up a, a first 11 football team to, to play the game. And, of course, I'd jump on jump in there, but I'd also be playing in the first 15 rugby game in the, yeah. in the crossover <laughs> and everything like that. So, okay. yeah, um, I, I wasn't a huge high school sport person just because our high school wasn't a sports high school. Um, mm. But I did still don my high school colours a couple of times and, yeah. and have some good memories of that, uh, especially playing against some of the really powerful high schools in our region. How long did you play rugby? Uh, I played rugby for two, I mean, properly for two years in high school. I uh, One year I played for the uh, the whole season for an under-15s team, mm-hmm. uh, played at first 5-8, which is like kind of like the playmaker role, more so just because I could kick and... Mm. Our rugby team wasn't the strongest, and so they were just looking for athletes that had somewhat of coordination and, and <laughs> could kick and run and, and do things like that. So I had a great time. Um, I really did. It, yeah. was, it was a good laugh. And then throughout the next three years of high school, I'd, I'd make rare appearances in the first 15. So the first 15 would play special games, whether there was a team from England coming over to, to play or whether we'd play um, inter-school games or whatever, and I'd make appearances in that once again because we needed athletes and (laughs) coordinated people my high school was only 420 students Mm. boys and girls so it was at that stage it was tough to find enough um big yeah that's small um technical people sort of thing so yeah it was it was a good old time there's there's an article that has a photo side by side on the paper of me making a football tackle and then me running with a rugby ball in hand and and things like that so yeah i enjoyed it i also enjoyed doing the rugby because I was a very passionate person about my school and took a lot of pride in my school mm. and the first 15 games would have the haka and so um, I would whether if I even if I wasn't playing I'd be at the uh, near the front of the haka in my school uniform um, still doing the haka because of the pride I had for sure. my school so that was another reason why I, I played rugby as well but no I did I played in a number of competitive rugby games. Um, and for, for those listeners who may not know what the haka is, go to YouTube and Google it, or go to YouTube and search it, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's a... It's a sight it, to see. Technically, it's a it's a war dance, um, right. but it's very um, cultural to New Zealand. It's who our ancestors... It's It represents our ancestors and things like that. And then our national rugby team, the All Blacks, which most people have heard of because they're probably the most successful sports team in mm-hmm. potentially history. Um, they do it before every game. So our school, we had our own specific haka. Um, oh, so it's not the same one the All Blacks do, for example? Really? No, most schools will have a, a different one, which will oh, be wow. curated by um, people at the school, and it will reflect potentially some of the history of the school and, and things like that. So yeah, Very I, cool. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different things that go into it. The The All Blacks have two specific hakas. I know both of them just because you watch it, but then... Sure. Our high school had one. You can also do things called a kapa haka, which is you're learning different areas of, of haka and, and stuff like that. So it's it's a cultural experience as well. But yeah, so 
when go. I was when I was fresh out of high school, I got to go to the the Sevens in um, Las Vegas, and I didn't know about it at all. And I saw it, and I was like, "What is going on?" But my friend who I used to live with, South African, he told me all about it, and he's the one who took me there. And it was it was freaking like because at first I was just like taken back. I was like, "What are these guys doing? They're losing their minds!" But then he told me about it, and I was like, "Wow, that's actually incredible that they can remember all of that." And then go dominate yeah. a rugby match. Yeah. Now the sevens teams, they only do it if they win the series. So it's a, like a world series that every, they'll have a tournament every weekend in a different place. And so the sevens teams will, if they win that tournament each weekend, once they receive the gold medal from that tournament, they then perform the haka for, for yeah. the crowd. So, so it was after. Uh, it, now my memory actually says. Back then, it may not have been. Yeah, because it was because we went to the the final day. Okay, we weren't there for yeah. the the weeks long that it was. Yeah, so they would have potentially won the final and, and done the haka. But that's cool. I mean, Americans being Americans, some of American football teams are like taking the haka and thought, oh, this is a great rev up tool or, or like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there there have been I've I've seen it in college football, American football that is, or NFL teams have tried to replicate it, but to us sometimes it's a bit of an insult to our culture mm. if they don't um yeah because americans it's more like hoo-ha i'm gonna yeah. kill somebody but like because it's got cultural significance to us right. that's why we find it see i always thought there was cultural significance in the united states to something like we ready for a middle school basketball game but that's just we me read it. <laughs> i love that yeah it's like exactly cultural well, the, appropriation the i believe <laughs> yeah i believe, I believe that yeah. we Oh, yeah, yeah. If we can oh, just burn, wait. if we can burn that from yeah. existence, I would be okay with it. Uh, I've yeah. been working on it. Been working on it, especially especially before U.S. national team games. So show me a, a thing that gets people all on beat one ready at the same time, and I'll stop doing it. Okay, but can that also apply to the first eleven of the U.S.? I'm gonna go ahead and destroy this conversation because that could go on for hours, <laughs> and, I, and I would jump directly in there. So I just know I'm gonna go ahead and cut that. <laughs> So, so you played rugby, um, yep. but uh, so that was like so that was the second longest sport that you played compared to the rest of them, or what, what else was it? Rugby was probably one of the shortest um, stints because I only properly comp- competitively played it for two, three years. Tennis, I played from age six or seven up until fourteen. Gotcha. Um, that was my most at the time most successful. Uh, I went to the national tournament at age twelve. Um, and my, the competitor from my city that was better than me, he's now been competing at times on the ITP, is it ITP World Circuit, I think, um, I believe so. the international tennis, yeah, um, circuit. So he, him and I are still really good friends. Um, but yeah, there was tennis. I played volleyball throughout high school. Four of the five years I was in high school. Incredibly underrated sport. Yeah, it's great. I yeah. loved it. And then. We actually, or actually volleyball, my senior year of high school, we won Division Four Nationals, which was quite special. Coming from a small school, we went to the national tournament with a squad of seven, and you need six on the court at all times. Wow. And three of us rolled our ankles, um, but somehow we managed to pull off a victory. And I mean, Division Four wasn't anything fantastic, but for us to even compete, it was pretty special. Sure. And then I played cricket, uh, which is a sport that is quite, not really known in this country Mm -mm. um it's similar to in some ways to baseball it's it can be a very long game Um, (laughs) like days at a time right it can be five days at a time and it can still end in a draw 
Um, wow, are you serious? Yeah. The coolest thing to me, I'm a video guy, and so watching it on TV, they have those little remote control cars with cameras on it, and that's how they do a lot of the game, and that's what got me into it. And then I actually started watching, and it's really interesting. And shout out to Pete Wilcock. He'll take a lot of OGA coaches, and they'll go play it too. Yeah. I can't, I can't get into it, man. I, I respect it, but I, I can't. My grandfather tried to get me to, to – he's from England and grew up – I mean, he, he moved here in his 30s. I, we sat down and watched several games when I was a kid, so I should have been able to – I just yeah. can't. It's a, it's a tactical game. It's very tactical and strategic, and if you're watching it and you understand it, it makes it more sure. enjoyable, Like much like if someone was to go to a, a baseball game or what, whatever and, and oh, yeah. watch it. While I love oh, baseball, not, I understand that oh, it is not one of the most boring what's going on. sports. No, <laughs> teaching someone to watch baseball who didn't grow up with it is almost impossible. Even, even to another American. Yeah. purely but especially to especially to a foreign i had a, had a foreign girlfriend in high school girl from brazil and we tried to watch baseball uh live you know at the lookouts it was she was miserable you made the first mistake about lookouts games which is you're there watch the baseball well you're in high school so this wouldn't have applied to but you to but say but beer no, is you're, the you're there to drunk. drink and socialize yeah. and <laughs> if you happen to see a couple pitches and something happened good i mean i know that now i was 17 at the time <laughs> so my first memory of actually playing cricket is a is a funny one so i was at a birthday party i must have been like six or seven but i grew up with an american mother and so i kind of knew a bit about baseball just from that and so i and cricket you have the bat down at your feet yeah and you're playing strokes in front of your legs it was my turn to bat at this birthday party and the first thing i did when i got the bat i put it over my shoulder nice and the father at the birthday party was oh no 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 you got to put it down here and so like yeah, credit to credit to the uh, the American mother and me. Um, when yeah, when <laughs> shout I was out. I mean, to, just trying to get your bat speed ready to go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was ready for it, but no, it was down. But I got there in the end, and I played. Yeah, I played cricket throughout high school. Um, I played it growing up a little bit, a fair bit as well. Um, but then another side comment about that is, my mum was obviously from America, but for her to get involved and want to enjoy watching me play cricket, she learned how to score, mm. scoring cricket can be the most complex thing you'll ever see you'll look at the score like the the scorers um card and you'll just see strokes and and numbers and circles and things like that and you'll be like what the heck's going on but she learned how to do that just so that she could be there and and be there for me and shout out to your mother she she knew that it was going to be six hours of the day so she was like well i may as well invest something into it (laughs) and and figure it out so wow now now before i I want to talk about your family a little bit because it's got to be uh, I mean, it's obviously unusual to have a, a Dutch father, an American mm-hmm. mother, and grow up in New, in New Zealand. But before we do that, I have a, I, I have a p- potential uh, addition to cricket that I think would really help the sport, at least for like a one-time, fun, stupid, very American event. I'm sure the uh, cr- cricket organizers are listening very closely to this. They should have their own version of a home run derby. The, 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 six, the six pointer so they they like, have there's three forms of cricket there's a test match which is the five days long there's a one day which is 50 overs each for 50 innings each well, in simple terms 50 innings each <laughs> and then the most exciting form of the game is a 2020 game which is 20 innings each and so that is short that's fast that's lots of big hits um lots of people getting out and things like that and so the and so the twenty twenty lasts three and a half hours. The no, one that sounds about right. The one day lasts ten hours probably, and test match lasts ten hours for five days each. Okay, so um, it must have been it must have been one of the twenty. Uh, so the, the twenty ones. Twenty twenties only come about in the last probably ten fifteen years. Okay, and I think it potentially came about to 
bring for, some excitement back yeah. into and, the game. And for television, probably, right? Because yeah. you could package and sell that a lot yeah. easier. So yeah. ESPN3 carries a decent amount of cricket, uh, mm-hmm. which is especially nice during the day if you're in an office. Uh, not that we do, go, not that we go to offices anymore. Uh, but if you're in the office and like just need something for like just noise. Yeah. And so like I have on many occasions just turned on cricket and just, you know, done my, done my, going about my day. I rewatch CFC games. And but I'm also I a freaking do, nerd. Do and I know too. you do the same. <laughs> I totally do that too. <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's really, really fun to just, you know, pay attention, uh, like look up. Cause you know, there's obviously the bowler has to go run back, you know, 15,000 yeah. steps before he <laughs> runs forward again. And so you just you, you see all these just dingers going out, yeah. dingers. And it's awesome. <laughs> it was an American term for that. Or do they call? It, do, is there a, is there a word for a home run or? It's a six. A, so a six. six run. If you hit the ball over the um, boundary rope on the full, it's six. If you hit it over the boundary on the bounce, it's four. Gotcha. So it's a six. If you hit it over the boundary, yeah. yeah. So, so essentially a home. If, if it, it were is a home run, run. technically a home run versus yeah. a ground rule double. If it bounces, there you out. go. So, so yeah, basically some similarities. Somebody is Maybe. sleeping somewhere and snoring at this conversation <laughs> because I brought too, that up. Too bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's actually let's actually shift towards um, towards your family. So, talk a little bit about the uh, the the cultural hodgepodge. It's uh, a good word. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of growing up with, with with a Dutch father and American mother in New Zealand, like how did how did this happen? <laughs> and, and what it's was a, it like? It's a fantastic love story. To be fair, um, yeah, good for them. Mum was living in Boston at the time. Had a boyfriend. Traveled to New Zealand. My father had been in New Zealand for about five years, so he he left school when he was I think sixteen, um, and did odd jobs i think he was in journalism for a bit had a failed marriage or you could say failed had one wife they got divorced and he didn't think he was going to have kids he didn't think he was going to get remarried or anything he was an only child so he left the netherlands discovering new life sort of thing um went to new zealand he was a hiking guide in new zealand and, and there's some places you can do some hiking yeah sure are. <laughs> sure sure are. and uh mum had gone to new zealand and australia just on a little world trip um just to see the see that side of the world um i'm hearing a movie being written yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and oh yeah you can maybe um (laughs) anyway so i think the story goes that there's either an extra person was on the hiking trip that wasn't originally on there or there was a flat tire somewhere in there so that for some reason so dad was the second guide the first guide had already gone with the group but for some other reason dad had to join the group whether it was a flat tire or extra person or whatever so dad's joined this group um to lead them on this hiking trip for four days through the saint james walkway in new zealand now that's a hike four days um, all that backpacking yeah it is it, yeah technically it's backpacking we call it tramping um okay so it was like a four-day tramp and that was all they needed um, <laughs> it was love it, it was love at first sight potentially yeah pretty much it, well, it, at least after four days of sight yeah and then um the 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 tramp ended mum was in in nelson which is my hometown which is our hometown now she was sitting uh at one of the campsites in the abel tasman national park which is one of the most beautiful national parks in the world and she was looking out across the ocean back towards the city of nelson and she was telling herself like don't you can't fall in love in new zealand like don't fall in love in new zealand (laughs) but i think it had already happened pretty much yeah (laughs) and i think she saw him 
one more time before she went back to the States. Um, went back to Boston, uh, was working or whatever. She was there for six months and then six months later, dad came over to, to Boston, lived with her in, in Boston for six months. He actually painted mum's ex-boyfriend's house. <laughs> um, and, and I love um, that tidbit. Just the way, just the way our family is like. I, that's not really. That was never really a problem. I don't think there was any like hard feelings or whatever. Mm. Um, they got married just north of Boston um, on the beach, in bare feet. Um, beautiful, unreal. Um, it was called Plum Island, a beautiful spot. I've actually been there a couple of times. And then they moved to New Zealand, started life. Um, and in neither one of their. Uh they're like home countries, I guess. No. So why, if I can? Mum was the most un-American American, in simple terms. She was, <laughs> um, she, yeah, she was born and raised in America. She went to different universities over here. Lived thirty years of her life in America, but she just really wasn't American. And I think she was just the way she was, what she believed in, all the different things. Um, America was where she didn't want to be, or wasn't where she wanted to be so um she yeah they fell in love in new zealand they fell in love with each other in new zealand but they also fell in love with the country dad had been there for five years already so he had already like set up life a little bit there um and it just worked out in that sense and then i think it was 89 that they moved to new zealand together um my sister was born in 91 i was born in 93 and uh we've still got the the family house that they bought must have been in 1990 i think um it was the second house that they got once so they'd been in one place for a little bit and then they bought this farmhouse this was the 20 acre farm the 20 acre farm old wood house the house is 120 something years old now wow um and then yeah it was an old hop farm it, they used the the property used to be part of like three different now it's into three different properties and probably a couple hundred acres so we got dry kilns up the back we got sheds up the back there's all sorts of yeah, it was a pretty cool place to grow up. Um, That's awesome. Hey, now, for <clears throat> for a lot of things on this podcast, I would like to say some things are wholesome. That's a very wholesome story. Not only on the Section 109 podcast do you get all kinds of stuff, but you get a wholesome love story. And I haven't given one of these out in a while. But for that, not only having you, but having that love story, they get a... Well done. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll take that one. Um yeah, I had the greatest backyard to grow up in. Um, New Zealand is just, it's an adventure playground. Um, so I grew up with a lot of adventure. And I i guess the adventure also came from having two parents that were willing to leave their home countries and mm. leave, leave their nests as such and, and move far away from family and, and things like that. Um, and then throughout my development, they were always willing to, to let me fly away. They, what they said was they built children with wings so that we could fly away um and my sister and i have both done that me more so than my sister um as i haven't lived at home since i was 18 really Um, so it's been nine years now but um that was just how we were raised and and i wouldn't change it for the world um yeah the the growing up on a farm there was always something to do bikes to ride uh trees to cut down rivers to play and things like that so it, it just plays into who i am and and what i like and what i enjoy 
Sounds oh. like you fit just right in here in rural Hamilton County. <laughs> it's, it's been, yeah. It, can it's you never do that again? Yeah, I can. I'll yeah. off on that. Cert, certain parts of Hamilton County, for sure. <laughs> yeah, not where we're at right now, so, currently. So. so speaking of spreading your wings, uh, you've been in a lot of places. Where did you go after high school? Um, so first of all, I the New Zealand school system, or the, the school structure is February through December. That's like the school year. Um, because oh, our, wow. Our summer is... Christmas. Yeah. So the seasons have flipped. Yeah. So Southern Hemisphere. I obtained a scholarship, but that wasn't to start until August in in Connecticut. And we'll get to that in a minute. But um, so I graduated high school in December. And so then I had seven or eight months to to fill up. Um, I moved to Christchurch where I had been playing on a team. And so I I moved there. I was homestayed. I was in a homestay there and I worked for four months. Much larger city, right? Christchurch is much larger larger than nelson yes um i want to say it's three or four hundred thousand people now uh, i believe uh, my stats might be a little wrong i think after the earth crisis was where all the earthquakes happened um and so the the numbers may have changed um but yeah i moved to christchurch so that was a good like practice run for living away from home yeah. um, at the age of 17 18 and so i was there for six months until june and then in Early, late July, early August, I, I moved to the States for, for my scholarship at university. And that was a football scholarship. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. soccer, soccer scholarship. Yes. Football, yeah. <laughs> don't get, don't get was, confused when it comes to soccer. I was, I was just keep, keeping it up. Yeah. Uh, no. Before we talk, we'll talk about your, your college career, when did, you, when did you learn that football was your sport? Um. I don't know if it ever was my sport. <laughs> okay, we, so, we, we, we've talked about the tennis but, thing, but like... Yeah, well, so a funny story about the tennis thing is I I was an angry tennis player um, and I got sports psychology help when I was 13, 12, 13, 14. And he thought I would not end up keeping on playing soccer. He thought I'd go back to an individual sport like triathlon or duathlon or something like that. Um, I haven't reminded him about this since <laughs> I've, I've, I've met with him numerous times. Just uh, just send the uh, send send the tape over. I'll send him a, send him the podcast and see what he says. Um, but yeah, like throughout high school, I was still dabbling in different things. But I think it was about the age of fourteen when Mum put the idea into my head that a scholarship to get my university degree and play competitive sport in America was a thing. Um, it was slowly beginning to grow in New Zealand that there was New Zealand players going over to, to America to to obtain scholarships. Um, there hadn't been too many from when I was there, but one of my closest teammates, he had come over, and so he helped me a lot through the process. Um, but yeah, it was like when I was 14, that became like the thing to do, and I was like, okay, well, let's focus on that. But my football career in New Zealand never really like reached great heights living on the south island um i know they've had this discussion in new zealand did not help because the north island is there's three and a half million people on the north island it's got wellington the capital it's got auckland which is a bigger city and those were the hubs for football for teams for national teams for scouts for everything like that so you had to be in the top like one percent in the south island to get recognized to be in a new zealand national team or whatever like that uh 17s or 20s so i was just still somewhat of your average Joe soccer player, football player, whoops. Um, <laughs> but, We're converting him little by little. Uh, little by little. Um, and by the age of 16, I was playing in a men's league 
in the um in my region and so that wasn't too um too familiar for many people um i was quite young for that and so i got very good experience at a young age in men's football which once again still i wasn't elite at all um i was just playing and and enjoying it and doing well and it it kind of led into um into me just still playing all different sports but also having having the ability to to not just focus on one and, and just enjoy my sport and then um i what was it um my senior year of high school i was still playing in that men's league which actually played out of Christchurch so our team would fly every second weekend to wow. play games and I'm the 16 year old doing this and I'm like oh, yeah, it's kind of cool that, that <laughs> also might have uh, contributed to your spreading of your wings yeah. with with confidence potentially and so our region was the mainland region so it was kind of like Christchurch upwards and Nelson was at the top of the South Island Christchurch was in the middle and so when I was 18 I got selected for the Canterbury United under 18s team and that played in the New Zealand National Youth League. And like this is the first time that I've ever been selected for a, a nationally regional, uh, a regional team that plays in a national competition. Mm-hmm. It hadn't happened before. So when that happened, I think you're talking about a moment where it's like, well, football might actually be yeah. some something of, I could give it a true crack. And that really put me on the path to, to obtaining a scholarship. Um, because prior to that, I'd come to the States in the middle of my senior year I'd gone on trials at universities over here. I'd had meetings with different college coaches or whatever. And all I left with was a walk-on spot at a school in uh, Southern Southern Illinois. Um, And that's what I was okay with at the time. I wasn't pleased with it. Um, But it was better than nothing. But it was better than nothing. And then obviously the the opportunity for the Canterbury United Under-19s team came about. And much to my surprise, I only went to one trial, one day of the trial in in New Zealand in Christchurch. Yeah, this is so. This is Canterbury United. Back to yeah. talking about Canterbury United. Okay. So, I let, I probably flew down on a Thursday afternoon after school, attended the trial that Thursday night with a bunch of others, and then flew back Friday morning to get to school the next day. Um, and then from that, they selected the team, and I think I went down. For once again for a Thursday to train, maybe a Saturday to train and went back. And after that first training, the coach uh, asked the team for captains, like who they thought should be the captain. Keep in mind, I've only been at one and a half sessions and all these guys don't even know who I am, but they've all voted for me to be captain. And I'm just like... And you're also young for that team too. I was yeah. I, well, I mean, most of us were in the seventeen eighteen yeah, okay. bracket. It was just the under nineteen league because they affiliated each year with the U twenty World Cup to uh, um, okay. to get okay. the right. Um, so the, the age, age brackets group. went yeah. that way. Got yeah. It. So I was probably I was more experienced in terms of men's football um, than right. some, some of my you, counterparts. You've been playing basically yeah. semi professionally with fully grown men. Yeah, to an extent, and um, and so I was named captain. I was like, well. That's kind of a surprise, but it was it was a privilege and an honor. Um, Is there any chance that the voting was was not based on your leadership qualities and was actually based on frequent flyer miles? 
I, mean, I did have a lot of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> and back then, um, they had, like, it used to be like a dollar to every airpoint. But yeah. because I gained so many, I mean, over time, you've gained so many, but like now it's it's like 10 cents to every air mile sort of That's thing. So lame. I gained so many fly, frequent flyer points yeah. from playing with this team. And I made sure I got all my all my air points, but no, it wasn't <laughs> not quite to frequent flyer miles. Um, I probably it's probably a question I should really ask the the coach of that team, who I'm very close with still to this day. Um, I respect him highly. He respects me um, incredibly, and I I see him whenever I was home. I'd see him once or twice a year, and would catch up. Um, but the thing was, like, I wasn't able to train fully with these guys because I was based in Nelson. Um, it was my senior year. I was had senior exams. Like all this played into me having to graduate high school. Um, so I would go to school Monday through Thursday. Thursday afternoon I would fly, or Thursday lunchtime or Thursday afternoon I would fly or drive to Christchurch. How far a drive is it? Five hours. Solid. And, and then I would um, I would train on the Thursday night study or do something on the friday to occupy time then would play on saturday and it would i could be flying from christchurch to auckland which is a one and a half hour flight christchurch wellington i'd be going anywhere within new zealand mm. and then fly back to christchurch and then get in the car or get back on another plane and fly back to nelson on the sunday and so i'd get do one, school do school for the next week or whatever so but here's the thing like i'm with the squad one one day a week and then playing a game and i'm expected to lead it i was like i mean to me, it's. It, I mean, it, it, I guess it showed a lot of what I brought to the group, but it was. I was still quite surprised by it. But it was finally like, here I'm 18. I'm finally getting recognised a little bit for all the work that I'd put in, even if I hadn't um, been selected in a New Zealand 17s team or a New Zealand 20s team, or even been in a. I hadn't been in a regional squad up until then, and they had regional squads from the age of 12 to 16. Um, so that was yeah talking about defining moments of me wanting to actually pursue something that kind of gave me the belief that oh, I could, I could do something here. Yeah. Um, cool. And that experience, like somehow I still don't know how, but we won the national league. <laughs> we won the national youth league. <laughs> and you were the captain. And I was a captain, but like we, we scraped through the tenant with this, uh, like in the, the last game of our pool play, um, we won three one. I think we get against Manor two, and um, we probably shouldn't have won. They could have. So you could have three senior players from the, your national league team drop down into national youth league team. Oh boy! And our our club Canterbury United didn't believe in that. And so, like for our security, we could have dropped down. We had a current all white national team player on the senior team. We could have dropped down three guys who would have changed the whole thing. And, but our club didn't believe in that, and so we didn't do that. So you were purely a youth team. Yeah, and somehow we won. Um, we won. We won that game, even though they dropped down senior players, the opposition. Nice. So we've done that, and then we've gone through to the semi-finals, and we play Auckland City, who is the powerhouse of New Zealand domestic football. Their youth league team was very strong, um, had a number of U17s players on it, and everything, and we draw 3-3 with them and then we go to penalty we go to extra time and then to penalties and the penalty score was 10-9 to oh us and so the total score was I think uh, 
12, 11 or something. Oh, no, what would it have been? 10, 9, 13, 12. My heart hurts just um, just thinking about that. It was the most incredible. It was the most. I mean, we're down to like keepers kicking penalties there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were, did you, do you start, wait, wait, if you get that, do you start back over? I believe so. I think, yeah. I think once the keepers, yeah, once you, or well, whoever's number 11, once yeah, everyone go goes, back. then you go back to one. Um, but thankfully, we didn't have to. And, I scored my pen. It was probably one of the worst pens you'll ever see. <laughs> oh, it's just a Still counts. About. Still I've, counts. I've sent him the wrong way, thankfully, because that thing's just like dribbled over the line. Um, <laughs> Sounds like uh, co-host Smitty's penalty last night. Shout out. Ah, uh, yes. Scored it. We won hey. ten. We won ten nothing. By the way. There you go. Hey, a goal's a goal, right? Um, True. So we've won that, and we go through to the final the next week, and this time the team is eighty percent New Zealand under 17s team. Like, no joke. A few of those guys. One of them actually plays for Portland Timbers right now, uh, Bill Tuiloma. But like, so we're playing against all these guys. Decent defender. Yeah, very good defender. Um, we're playing against all these guys, and we're just a bunch of like hardworking South Islanders that don't really haven't really been given a shot. With a chip on your shoulder, I'm guessing the whole uh, team. Try. I mean, yeah, kind a of. But we're we're not expected to win. We had to get up at five a.m. So we had to get up at five a.m. to catch the airplane at six thirty. Our pre-match meal was McDonald's. Um, now nutritious. That, that is an American story right <laughs> there. It's, it's a fantastic. So I mean, <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> we we got to the the stadium really early. The coach gave me his card, and he was like, "Find the closest thing." And the best like place to eat was McDonald's. And so there was like just grilled chicken wraps, pretty much. And that was our pre match meal. At least you didn't eat Big Macs. Yeah, um, but somehow it kind of worked. Um, the most memorable thing about this was. So the, our coach was Alan Walker. He had written like a, a two-liner um, message to every single player on the team and gave it to everyone. It was a different message for every single player. Mm. And it gave, gave it to everyone before kickoff or like before the game. I still have that note taped in a book. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it means a lot. Um, we've gone out there playing with so much belief, whatever. 1-1, one, one, we go to extra time. So two weeks in a row, we've played 120 minutes. We've had to get up at 5 a.m. both weeks to travel, things like that. And then sometime in the second half of extra time, the guy by the name of Ryan Hoopers somehow squeezed the ball between the near post and the goalkeeper. I still think it went on the outside of the post and went under the net <laughs> that wasn't properly taped to the taped to the post. But I won't uh, – sorry, Ryan, I'm not saying you didn't score. But, <laughs> hey, it still counted. Hey, it still counted. Didn't, didn't we just talk about taking a terrible penalty? Yeah. If it's called a goal, it counts. <laughs> the goal is a goal, right? And so we've won 2-1 against this team that's like hot shit, really, because they're all national t- national yeah. youth team players. Um, and we're just a, a bunch of random guys from the South Island. And it was, that's amazing. It was quite surreal. And I was captain, so I got to lift the trophy and everything. And so those are some really, really good memories. Now, did that, did that win catapult you into some more spotlights so you could get some more trials? How did so, that that so the two games both the semi-final final were played in Auckland and I'd not had exposure to playing in Auckland no one had seen me because all my games had been in the South Island or if we played in Wellington for the National Youth League and there was an agent at the games at the semi-final final secretly filming <laughs> and set, and was like hey nice. hey we've got we've got your footage um we're working with these guys getting them scholarships to the states are you interested because I'd already come to the States and trialed and everything, I'd gone through a lot of the recruitment process myself. So I'd done all my transcripts. I'd taken the SAT. I'd 
I'd prepared video, I'd prepared a CV. I'd done all, a lot of the stuff you pay an agent for. And plus you had an American passport already, right? Yes. Uh, that, yeah, I've got an American passport, which is a benefit for a lot of things. And so uh, the agent had hit me up literally on Facebook, I believe. Nice. Um, Solid. Saying, like, are you interested in the States? And I was like, well, this is my situation. This is where I'm at. I've got a walk-on offer at this school. Um, and he was like, well here's what I can offer you or here's what we can potentially do for you and I signed with him and within three days I had three scholarship offers on the table um, very cool and one of them was Quinnipiac and, and away I went and that's a division one school division one school in Connecticut um, winters are very cold <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> very cold I'm sure a little different than uh, than where you were from it was yeah it was it was different in a lot of senses um but it was a great experience. I, I loved the whole experience, all the different elements of it. Having the passport helped. I got out of having to go to international student meetings. and Yeah. I think one of the schools I got recruited to... Um, no I-20 for you either. No. Nah, one of the schools I got recruited to thought that the native languages in New, of New Zealand... Or oh, the, no. No, the um, first language of New Zealand was our native language, Māori. And so they wanted me to take English as a second language and so my, my mom your classes would have been much easier yeah, they sure would have but my mum would have got my mum got on the phone to that school and was just like hey like for your information um yeah <laughs> not not we necessary speak just english. definitely not we speak english and speak no, english way, quite well by the way this is an american accent yeah so that was a that was a funny one but um yeah quinnipiac didn't think that Maori was our first language and they knew that English was and so I didn't have to do English as a second language but still that <laughs> tells a good story right and you and you spent you spent four years there correct all four all four of my years study were, studying were, psychology correct yeah that's awesome so, and how how was the how was the soccer there um it was very good um three of the four years we won the conference title uh, or the the regular season I should say what's a, what's a bigger school you would have, you would have played there in like conference, you would have played in the final. Out of conference. Uh, well, so my first year, the Quinnipiac was in the Northeast Conference. And after that, we'd moved to the MAC, which is the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. And so the Northeast Conference is quite small. But the two biggest schools, which were us and Monmouth from New Jersey, yep. we left to go to the MAC. And the MAC had Fairfield from Connecticut. It had Niagara, Canisius. Iona. Um, C- yeah, Iona, Siena. Um, those types of schools. Matt with his Division One athletics. I love how uh, Matt says that and glares at Breezy like, yeah, because he knows I don't know where that is. <laughs> he has no idea where that is. Yeah. So the Mac isn't was. Rick, isn't like Rick Patino coaching at Iona right now? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure. Okay, that's, that's I'm pretty sure that's because the only place that he can get away with uh, scandalous things he's doing. Well, it's New Rochelle. What do you expect? Yeah, the the games in uh, at Iona were quite interesting to say the least as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our my second, third, and fourth year, we were in the MAC, and so it was a lot more competitive. Um, I think the our NEC, when we were in the um, conference our first year, we went undefeated in conference play, um, but then we obviously blew it in the semifinals. Of course, shock, that's what happens. Um, well, welcome to CFC. That's what we do, too. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Breezy. I cannot Damn believe it. you did that. That's, that's Sorry. Bad, I can't believe you did that and not me. Oh, my God. Did you, did you play fans. Did you play a tradition, like your preferred position there or, or what was your I role played, i played left center back for every single game that i played and i think he played me at defensive midfield one game in preseason just to see how i was or whatever that was when i was a freshman um but for 
for the four years I played on the left hand side of a back four um, our defence was unreal um, we had a guy by the name of Chris Bart Williams former Premier League player for Nottingham Forest Charlton Athletic I believe those are two of the clubs he played for that's awesome he missed a penalty in the FA Cup final and it still haunts him to this day um, but some of the uh, some of the stories that come out of the guy was insane. But he was the coach that I've learned the most from in specifics to defending. He was defend he was our defensive coach for the first. He was only there for my first two years. He took us away, took the two so that we had two sets of four as such. There was eight defenders, yeah. and it would be two back four. So we'd have two centre backs and a right back and left back. Right. He'd take us away every single training session for the first half an hour of this training session coach and assistant coach would take the other group and then Chris would take the back four um, and the other and the other four and would just do defensive stuff defensive technique body shape um, all of that stuff every single day and so that was when I got the most um, most coaching and teaching of the position of the techniques and very individual coaching it sounds very like. much so it was it was incredible and then we'd watch film and like you wouldn't even watch the ball like we'd be watching film and he was like look at your hips look at your shoulders look at your knees like the the amount of detail awesome. that he saw he read the game and and how he saw the game um was just completely different to anything i'd ever experienced and it was like it was proper coaching it wasn't yeah. it or it was proper teach i'll put it like it was proper teaching it wasn't coaching because he wasn't doing that to make us win he was doing that to make us better players yeah. and so mm. i when i look at coaches you've got teachers and you've got technicians um, and he was a he was a teacher, full stop. Like he and he just would never stop learning from him. Um, and it was a real shame when he left. Um, we didn't get as much defensive attention or um, specific coaching as we did when he was there. But he was a huge reason why we were as successful as we were because our defense and our goalkeeper. He, our goalkeeper was very good as well. So if there was one or two chances in a game that teams got our goalkeeper really. Uh, stuff that out so like we had incredible defensive records i think one of our years we were in the top 20 um for goals conceded sort of thing in the ncaa and, and things like that so yeah. it was um it was it was a really good time to like for me as a defender to learn the the sport small things of it and and learn how to do individual analysis and and stuff like that and the first two years culminated now we won the mac our first year we won the mac tournament our first year and then we went to the ncaa tournament and so how, it was, how was that yeah. experience it was unbelievable because um the tournament was the mac tournament was at fairfield which is 30 minutes down the road from from hamden which where quinnipiac was so you could sleep in your own bed exactly i mean i don't think we stayed at the hotel at all we we chose we had the choice to um i think we stayed i really do someone might correct me but we we stayed in our own bed on campus Every, everything was just normal we'd yeah. get in the bus we'd go there um but then so we won the semi-final in the shootout once again the shootout went to the eighth <laughs> kicker or the ninth kicker um Ugh. and we won the semi-final in, in the shootout and we had a fair amount of fans there because it was only half an hour drive they flooded the field and everything like that and and that was I think a Wednesday or a Thursday night and then the final was on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon and so now I've made it to the final the school's putting on fan buses we've got like a couple hundred people there it was an unreal experience um, we're playing Monmouth who we've both come from the 
from the NEC yep. into the MAC. We've just dominated the, the conference for the first year that we were there. And we play each other, us not really expect, or we hadn't really been successful against them over the course of the last 10 years in the NEC. And I don't know, I think we lost to them 1-0 that season and they may have been our only loss in the conference play. And we've gone to a penalty shootout with them again. Jeez. So we played, once again, we played 110 minutes in the semifinal and final, two penalty shootouts, and we've won that penalty shootout too. And the security for the final was a lot tighter than the semifinal, <laughs> so the fans had to stay off the field and everything, um, oh. which was a bit of a buzzkill, but when they got let on, it was quite fun. Um, so that that was that, and then we... You, you go through the, the national tournament selection and you watch the whatever it's called and we were watching and we didn't know who would get there was a few teams in the northeast and we got pitted against Yukon <laughs> I, was just, I was just about to say not, not, not a big school not very good at soccer I don't think doesn't sound that right. year they were number 8 in the country um, that year Andre Blake got drafted number 1 to I was, I was going to say that to Philadelphia that, 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 that sounded familiar and he's pretty good and then the following year Kyle Laren got drafted number one to Orlando I believe um, they both played in that game well he's less good now uh, yeah, he's, he's done a f- yeah I'm not sure where he's, he might be in Turkey or something but somewhere um, anyway so Yukon's an hour and a half up the road so it was still not that far we did stay up north we didn't stay at, in, in Hamden but we had at least 500 fans at the game, and I think there was about 5,000 at the game total, and our fans were incredible. It was really special. Um, just the group of players we had that year, uh, was it was a very special team. Uh, we were so close, did everything together. We'd been through a lot together and, and things like that, and one of the things that quarantine's given us is a lot of time. And so at the start of quarantine, everyone was catching up with old friends. And we actually had a Zoom call with the 2013 Quinnipiac men's soccer team that, oh, was, wow. that went to the NCAA tournament. And that was amazing because you got to see people that you'd... I mean, for me, I haven't seen them since I graduated. I hadn't spoken to the coaches for a while and things like that. So it was really cool. Were there any current... Are any guys still playing? From that team, actively at the professional yeah, high semi-professional level no because we're seven years later which is you know a lot of guys might play a year or two professionally but it's a meat grinder yeah no there there's not there wasn't or well, i mean there's not too many active grads from quinnipiac that are playing um one is rashawn Daly. he's at fc cincinnati um, yeah just got loaned out did he to las vegas i believe oh really i didn't see that he had been on loan at memphis i think yep. last year for a little bit um but there you go um he's the highest profile player currently playing from Quinnipiac and there's one or two that dabble in the semi-pro um, lifestyle as such when <laughs> when Elm City so you guys might remember Elm City very very well um, when Elm City came about their TD I believe was our head coach at Quinnipiac and so they had a bunch of Quinnipiac players um, playing for Elm City in the NPSL they were in the league for one year and they won the whole damn mm-hmm. thing um, I remember and there was a few few guys that from Quinnipiac that played in that. And a few professional Brazilians that came up for the summer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and it was supposed to be a partnership between the two clubs and blah, blah, blah. Yep. They folded after the first they, season. And things happened. 
yeah. the things that things that uh, we remember. <laughs> if you're ever going to have any kind of fact or statement or question about the NPSL, these two are probably going to answer your question <laughs> or know the fact that you're. We've been say. we've been I, down I, I this know. road. I don't know. I, I just I remember them well. Unfortunately, <laughs> well, we didn't have anything else to do that postseason, so. <laughs> Yeah. So take so take your your first year. So you go through, uh, you graduate. Where where to from there? Are you are you still in the states or? Oh, actually, well, uh, one other question. You when you were Wait. captaining the uh, the the team okay. before you went, what yep. position did you play? Center back. Okay, so right hand side of center back, but I played center back. Yeah. So you it was a continuation then. I was curious because I know yeah. a lot of times me, as you get older that you get moved around. So I was curious if that happened. It to was you. I think. The age of 17, 16 or 17, when I became a, a center back, and that was my position, and that's where I became either right side or at. either right side right or, or left. Um, credit to my father, who always encouraged me to have two feet um, nice. or to use two feet. I think Very a Dutch. lot of us have two feet. Um, Very Dutch. But <laughs> we're, we're, we're all shocked by this. Not everyone, not everyone can use both feet as technically sufficient as others, and so he was always someone that got on to me about that and you could you ask many people and there's something I do when I get into a new team I I ask people after the first couple of days like what foot do you think I am and all of them don't have a clue um, so that's just and that's just because I'm quite comfortable using both my right is still naturally better than my left so if you take a penalty you're taking it with your right yep how what if you were asked to take a free kick would you depending on where on the field take it with different feet or was it always be your right I realize you're a center back probably not taking um, a ton of free kicks but Sometimes I take with my left, depending on where I was trying to get the ball to. If I was trying to shape it somewhere or whatever, yeah, I've taken a few free kicks with my left from from at the back, um, and those weren't just like a pass; they were like a free kick sort of thing. But yeah, still naturally right-footed. That's your dominant foot, but I can control and pass and ping with my left foot quite comfortably, and I wouldn't have to think twice. And that's probably why you ended up on the left side. Yeah, yeah. not a lot, a lot of le- uh, natural left footers. No. And uh, left side strong side, Stevenson Hawkey, my left back throughout college for four years. We uh, we still hold that one strong. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he just he just wished me a happy birthday and said left side strong side for life. That's uh, the other day. So well, I mean, uh, people may notice that you played uh, on in the middle of the of a three man in CFC's first friendly here, but uh, you're definitely shading a lot to the left. Uh, with 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 a with an offensively minded player on the left side. <laughs> I saw him covering a little bit of space to the left. I think there may have been a reason it was you in the middle and not uh, someone with a stronger right foot. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, <laughs> Jay, what was your question? Oh, I said, you know, once you were, what you're doing at school, where was your, where was your next move? So my first move from school was actually to Northern Ireland. Um, the women's team coach at Quinnipiac had a former teammate of his who was the assistant coach at Derry City in Northern Ireland. Um, and there was also a girl on the women's team from Derry, and so her family was there, and so through all of that, I got a trial at Derry City. Um, I stayed with her her family for the first week before I got moved into housing, um, but then one of our assistants, I think my senior year, he was also from Derry, but he knew the coach at Cliftonville. So Cliftonville plays in the Northern Ireland Premiership, and Derry City plays in the League of Ireland. They're the only Northern Irish club in the League of Ireland. Um, and Northern Ireland Republic of Ireland, there is a bit of friction. and, and there's, there's a thing. Yeah, there's a thing there. So I went over um, 
they knew that I was trialing with both. I went to Cliftonville on the Thursday and then Cliftonville on the Saturday. And on the Friday, I was actually at Derry um, training. But So I played, I trained with Cliftonville, played in a friendly, and in between I trained once with Derry and then I was going to start my full-time trial the next week at Derry. Um, and so I spent, I eventually spent two, two and a half months at Derry City um, on trial, fully professional. It was unbelievable. Um, after the first three weeks, I was, got brought in by the coach and he was asking the the serious questions like, you got a partner, like what's your situation, like what do you need sort of thing and, and things like that because they were really interested in signing me. And then they started looking at the passport situation and they were talking to different people um, within customs or um, to, to look at visas that I could obtain to play. Because they're in Northern Ireland, so you're subject to a UK work permit, right? Yes. Um, I was subject to a professional athlete yeah. UK work permit or work visa. Backtrack to my father leaving the Netherlands. He left the Netherlands with no intention of going back. He let his Dutch passport expire and didn't renew it within five years that he could have when it expired. As kids, we were informed that we could have applied for it, even if his, his had expired, we could have applied for the Dutch passport up until the age of 20. By the time I tried to apply for my Dutch passport, I was 21 at Quinnipiac, planning on going to Europe after graduation, getting told that I could have applied for it and, a got, year ago. and gotten it a year ago. Okay. And so I, did, I do not have a European passport. If I had it, I probably might not be sitting here. But yeah. that's a whole other story. And, and I am here through the actions of everything else that's been prior. So I, I don't resent anything like that. Dad felt terrible because he didn't realize he was going to have kids that wanted to travel the world and, and things like that. But that's just the way life goes. So, yeah, I'm in Northern Ireland. We're struggling to figure out the visa. And then they were like, we'll sign you. We'll send you on loan. Or we'll get this club to sign you and we'll take you on loan. And there was all sorts of back and forth, back and forth. And then once they realized the visa was going to be too difficult, it was like you can stay here and train as long as possible um, while you figure out your next move or what you want to do. Um, the biggest thing there was because I would have required a professional athlete visa and the UK professional athlete visa, you have to have played for your national team for more than two years. Huh, yeah. And a percentage of games and, and, and things like and, that. And things like that, which obviously hadn't happened. And so I wasn't in, in line for a prof professional athlete visa. But that was a great starting point for me. Um, straight out of college, it may not have been the best thing for me to have signed there because I was straight out of college, fully pro environment, I would have been flying and <laughs> my mentality may have been quite different to what it has become now. I might have become this cocky, chest out, I'm a, I'm a pro at 22 sort of thing. So the lessons I've learned have, um, have built or developed my mentality that I have now. Um, and so it's a, a potentially a blessing that I didn't get that contract straight off the bat and I actually had to work even harder and harder and harder. Um, but I still take the two and a half year, two and a half months that I was there. Um, it was incredible. I played with some unreal players, um, players I still talk to today, um, and I, I still track their progress and everything like that. So I went from there to 
um, I went from there to England. Uh, I had contacted someone that I knew uh, within New Zealand and they knew a New Zealander that was a player coach at a club called Truro City in England. His name was Rory Fallon. He helped us. He helped the New Zealand national team qualify for the 2010 World Cup by scoring the only goal in the playoff with Bahrain. And so, like, I'm like getting put in contact with like this national hero. Who, who you know who he is? And so I'm, I definitely know who this guy is. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> and so I've gone down there. He's housed me for the week, taken me on trial as such. Truro City played in National League South at the time, so Tier Six and in, in the English structure, uh, Premier League Championship. League One, League Two, um, Conference, and then Conference South or National League South, as it was called. So, I've gone down there, trialed. He knows more about a visa situation and that and the one that I could get as a New Zealand citizen. Because it was England, I assume you had a few more options as a New Zealand citizen, or no? Yes, I could have. I could have applied it to Northern Ireland, um, but that boat had. Sh- passed by the time i got to england sure so the visa i got was a two-year working holiday visa i would have if so if i was on that visa i would have had to sign an amateur contract in northern ireland Hmm. because they were a pro club true city was not a pro club and so gotcha so i was able to obtain this visa which working holiday you could play amateur sports um you could work you could live for two years uh up until the or that those visas are you're allowed to have up until the age of 32 they're they're to encourage New Zealanders to travel the world and live in other countries and work in other countries in a, mm-hmm. in a pretty easy way. There's a, there's a similar thing for, uh, I, so my mom was born a British citizen. She, I, she didn't know before the age of 18 that I had to apply. She had to apply for me before I was 18. We never applied. I never got my English citizenship. It's not the same thing, but there's a similar path to getting a work permit if I want to get it because I have the lineage. Yeah. It's, it's easier to get the, yeah. the work permit, but it, if I were a professional athlete, it wouldn't it wouldn't help. Yeah, which so, I'm obviously not. Rory knew about the visa, and because I had an American passport, I could apply for this visa in a country of residence. And so I left England after a week and flew back to America because it was a lot cheaper and a lot shorter to come to America than to go all the way to New Zealand. And so I applied for this visa on my New Zealand passport while in America. While in America, because I was an American citizen, and I spent a week or no a month in America. Back at Connecticut, back in Connecticut, back at Quinnipiac, um, training with the strength and conditioning coach. I don't know if I trained with the team or not. Potentially, I did, but so this was um, well, this was about August September of I'd graduated in the May May previously, yeah. or just like just prior, so like four months down the line. Visa comes through. I moved to England, um, and I. I'm in England for about five months. The first month I was in England, I lived on a mate's couch while the club organized my um, housing. Um, slowly, it sounds like. Very slowly. <laughs> I, when I was living, so I went to this, I went to high school with this friend. Somehow he was just living. So I played in, at Truro. Truro's down in Cornwall. Cornwall was that bottom, like South Peninsula of, uh, of England. And so you're far, far away from a lot of things. For some reason, somehow... Toby was living in Falmouth, which was about thirty minutes away from Truro. So I would, I would be, I stayed on to- Toby's couch for for a month. But my training uh, r- routine or whatever travel was, I'd get on the train from Falmouth at six p.m., get to Truro at about six thirty, get picked up, drive from Truro to Plymouth, 
because we'd train in Plymouth because that was where most of the boys lived because Plymouth is a lot bigger than Truro. We'd train in Plymouth um, for an hour and a half, two hours, leave Plymouth at, what, 9.30, 10 o'clock. I'd get a ride from Truro to, to Plymouth or if I'd had to take the train, I'd get picked up in Plymouth. Train, drive home, get dropped at the bus station. By this time, there's a bus running only every half an hour. So if I miss that one bus, I've got half an hour to wait. So I'm I'm in a bus station 11.30 at night in Truro waiting to get back to, to Falmouth with my foam roller, foam rolling in, at 11.30 at night, homeless guys coming up to you or people homeless guys living in the shelter and stuff like that. And then I catch the bus and if it was Thursday night, you'd have all the all the college kids, the high, um, the university college kids who are 18, 19, getting on the bus to go party in Falmouth. And I'm here sweating, like still sweating and training gear with a foam roller or everything, getting on the bus, going back to Falmouth. So I'd get back in at midnight and go to sleep. And so I did that Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday for like a whole month. Um, and that was, so that's one of the most incredible stories I've, uh, well, I've got. Welcome to lower league football. I so guess, yeah, right? it was, it was proper lower league. And then from there, we finally got my housing and the chairman of the club owned a caravan park. Oh my. You can only see where this one's going. <laughs> <laughs> so Cornwall's like a holiday spot in, in England. It's where people go in the summer. Um, the summer weather's unreal. Obviously, I was there in winter because the English football season goes through winter. And so there's all these available caravans, yeah. perma- permanent caravans. Somebody caravan moved park. out and they finally found you a spot. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> they were finally able to get rid of someone. So I've moved into the caravan. By this stage, there's another kid from New Zealand coming who I knew who he was. I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but I knew who he was. And Rory had um, organized for him to come. And so we both get put into this caravan and we literally do rock paper scissors or draw. I think we actually drew out of a hat. Who got the who got the master bedroom and who got the the other bedroom? And Zane's pulled out master bedroom and I've pulled out the other one. My bed was so there was two beds in this in this <laughs> space. We'll put it that way. Space. The beds were um a yard wide each, and then there was probably a yard in between the two beds, and that was it. That was the amount of space I had in my room. It was what, and you couldn't push nine. them. You couldn't push them together. No, they were permanent, and then you had like a little um, nightstand in between the two beds. Wow! So that so it's like three yards wide, and then probably eight feet long. Um, and that was my space. And then you had the lounge, which is, there was enough space in the lounge, um, and then the toilet was very small as well, and the shower. Um, but yeah, that's where I lived for four and a half months. In a caravan, very small, uh, tight space, but it was all part of the experience. Now, that was a semi-professional league. Was it a, a set, Was the team made up of some professionals then? And what was no, that level like? So it was proper English football. Um, <laughs> lower league, I was playing centre-back or sweeper, actually, um, in the middle of a back three back mm-hmm. then as well. And Zane was a defensive midfielder, and sometimes I'd play a ball to Zane in the middle of the park, and I'd get yelled at for trying to... Play, play out, the play out of the back. Play out of the back or whatever. It was literally like, find your winger. Boot it. Proper find English football. Um, proper English football. And I mean, I'm, I never played that way. And so I str- I didn't struggle, but it took a bit to get used to. Um, and 
it was an experience. It, we had players that had been in the Plymouth Argyles. So Plymouth was professional. They'd mm. been in the Plymouth Argyles Academy or whatever, and they dropped down. Now they do a lot of loaning. Um, back when I was there, there wasn't. Oh, there was some loans, but not as many as there is now. But there had been guys that had been in pro environments or whatever that would come in. Um, but you were still. It was considered a semi-pro envi- environment. Two trainings a week, um, cold, long bus rides because we were down in, in Cornwall. It was five five and a half hours north to London or anywhere past London for any of our games. Um, so it was a proper proper English experience, but it just it taught you a bit about what the game and it it, it kind of showed whether you loved it or not or mm, whether you yeah. actually wanted to do it and zane and i were in a great mindset of like let's give this thing a real crack here <laughs> um and like see what we can achieve um we had bbc wrote stories on us about these guys coming to truro city living in a caravan fifteen thousand kilometers from home sort of thing seeing how seeing where they can get to in football in england um and you didn't, I, obviously, I, I don't know where we're quite where we're going with this, but it sounds like you didn't continue climbing the ladder in England. What were there opportunities to go up a, you know, try to go up a division, or or would you would looking, that have been good for you? Looking back on it now, it's one of those where you kind of have to ply your trade. Yeah. Um, and at that age, we weren't patient enough. Um, and being down in Truro, we didn't have as much exposure to. Uh, if we were say playing for a club in and around London there'd be so much more exposure so many more scouts and things like that scouts weren't travelling to Truro to see games um, and so we were, we were isolated um, opportunities weren't there really um, we tried to do as much networking as possible but it was one of those where looking back on it now they played 38 games a season and what, I was only there and played 15 sort of thing that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, yeah, sure. And so as I look back, I'm like, if I'd known, maybe I would have stuck it out um, and tried to crack it. But something I didn't tell you was I was on 30 quid a week and 30 quid a week doesn't go very far. Did they uh, did they, did they take care of your housing? and then they just- So the housing... So the, the caravan. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Let me, this is in air quotes. Uh, the housing. <laughs> the caravan. Yeah, the caravan was taken care of. We had to... The chairman was quite quite tight with his money. Um, it sounds like it. And I think he had some doubts with us because Rory was the one that brought us in. Rory was a player coach. Um, and Rory wasn't one of them sort of thing and, and things like that. So they, the chairman may have had some doubts. We had to bargain with him to get gym passes so that we could go to the gym because there was nothing else to do <laughs> so the gym was actually just down the road so we were able to walk down the road to the gym so we're in the gym most days of the week um and then zane credit him he'd had a few more experiences with football he was able to um persuade them to to get us a win bonus oh there you go and luckily we were on like a six game win streak or else I would have been broke. Um, and we, the win bonus wasn't much, but it was a lot more than my 30 quid a week I was making because that was just groceries. Um, sure. And so all of this just played into the longevity of our stay there. I think we only trained twice a week. So we went down to the local high school, which their football team or their football academy was linked with Chelsea. 
um, the, high, the high schools, the was. high schools, yeah, Truro, Truro City, or whatever the high school was, and um, so they had some really good players, like sixteen to eighteen. We got to know the coach. Our goalkeeper coach actually for the club was a teacher. I think he was a math teacher or chemistry teacher at the at the high school, and so he got us in there. Like we had to sign these things um, to show that we were going to be volunteering at the school, like helping out the school, mm-hmm. just so that we could then get the access to play to train so we went there and we trained there twice a week so then we got four trainings a week so we were trying to make the best most of a pretty average situation um and find ways to to get around things but all of all of that stuff didn't really play into um longevity of a stay there and trying to be a professional soccer player definitely and then when rory rory got sacked as a player coach um, I think more so for his playing ability or his playing contribution than his coaching contribution, um, which is a very strange one because the head coach stayed, but Rory got binned. And Rory had brought us there. And so once Rory was gone, we found ourselves, our game time slowly fading away. Sure. Uh-huh. And um, and it was one of those where it was like, yeah, no. Nah, it's time. It's time. Time to new chapter. It was time. And so, um, yeah, I got myself out of there. Where'd you go? Uh, I came back to the States and... Had a baby? <laughs> with the passport and everything. <laughs> um, I'm a proud American, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, well, I'd i been in England and I'd been reaching out to USL teams because I knew the USL was starting up. It was I'd been in England December and it was January and I knew trials and stuff were happening. So I've been in contact with a couple of USL teams and you get personal invites to these trials but the trials turn out to be uh, an open open tryout and there's 150 people there and they and, shocker and you spend you spend all this money a lot of times to I, get there i i spent a lot of money on flights even though i didn't have to because i was invited i didn't have to pay the uh, trial fee but the 150 dollars yeah exactly <laughs> whatever the process is unbelievable but so i'd come back and i went to two usl trials and you can name them if you want Oh, Put them on blast. Last. Nah, that's all right. That's all right. That, that's <laughs> I can bleep them out. We're be- we're well gone from that. <laughs> that didn't work. I'd then gone to um, my aunt lives in Philadelphia, and that I I just needed some security for a little bit. So I went there and I found some like team in Philadelphia to train with, and they played on like a dirt paddock. Like just rubbish field sort of thing. Was it the uh, Philadelphia Fury RIP? <laughs> wow, not they don't quite. Exist. Wow, not quite. I, uh, hey, they existed for about a week and a half. I think I think I just saw shots come out from the rotunda. <laughs> well, funny thing is, I played for so when the ASL was a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys knew about the ASL, the yeah. American Soccer League. Yeah, my senior, I, I do know what they are. Yeah, my senior year of Quinnipiac. I had no more eligibility left, obviously. So I went and played for Connecticut United FC. Oh wow! If you so you play you played the Fury. So I believe we may have played the Fury, or we may have won by default against the Fury, one or the other. Whoa. That sounds more likely. <laughs> so the Fury, I've had an experience with them. Yes, um, I at that least knew like, who they were. That sounds like classic Matt Driver. But, I was gonna say. Yeah. So that was back in back in 2016. But here we are. It's what. January 2017 or going into February 2017 I'm in Philadelphia with my aunt I ended up working on a construction site for a week um, there you go just trying to keep busy go to the gym stay fit and then I had an email in my inbox that I hadn't gotten back to in a few weeks and it was probably one that I should have and it was from 
a guy at Bridges in in uh, Chicago. So Bridges is like the the story or the name Bridges kind of makes sense that they bridge the gap between college to pro sort of. Okay. And so I reached back out to them. He's like, yeah, sure, come in on trial. So I just took a flight from Philadelphia to Chicago, not knowing what I was getting into. We trained in this indoor facility. At the end of it all, like the whole plan was in July, they'd take a squad of these players to Scandinavia, play exhibition games in Scandinavia, use an agent in Scandinavia and, and get players signed in Scandinavia. So I'd gone to Chicago. After a week or two, they liked me. And so I was going to stay. So I stayed there. Now, talking about housing, <laughs> we were, there was this Bridges apartment so the head coach is Brett Hall, and he's an ex-indoor um, coach, ex-pro, um, experienced, smart, knows what he knows what he likes, and 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 knows knows the game. So Brett Hall was a coach of Bridges, and he's not your traditional coach or person or human. Mm. He's a very interesting guy, um, but. They had a two-bedroom apartment and Brett lived in one of the bedrooms and the guys that came in from out of town would stay in the other bedroom, which had two bunk beds sort of thing. It was it was fine. Um, and then Brett's cat, Kitty, lived in the place as well. So it was just a very interesting experience to say the least. Um, but not, living with your coach. Living with your coach, but you never saw him. By the time we were in bed, he was still at his office doing whatever he was doing um and then by the time we'd go to leave in the morning he was already gone at training sort of thing already so you only see him at training you rarely see him in the apartment so he was just there to sleep but the apartment was funded for the the whole kind of system um and so he he occupied one bedroom and then the other bedroom had two bunk beds and over the course of the five months that i was there we had anywhere between four and 12 guys what? staying in this apartment. In two bunk beds. It, well, and a couch, I assume. Two bunk beds. There was two couches and there was at least four to five mattresses on the floor at any one time. That's so um, Memphis City FC. Uh, uh, sounds like a CFC apartment in the past to me. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Easy. Sorry. So, that was that. I mean, that was. You're just, the, you said the semifinal thing, so don't even say anything to me. Continue. <laughs> There's a lot of beef in here, isn't there? Uh, yeah, always. No, we just like to yell at each other. <laughs> Only after a couple of drinks. Um, so that was just part of the experience there. But what we trained every day, we'd do a technical session in the morning, and then we'd do five v fives indoor in the afternoon. A lot of energy, um, a lot of just good hard training. And is and, it is it good coaching? Coaching designed to it know, was fix you and take was, you to that next level. There was a lot of teaching. Um, to it not much coaching um as i mentioned earlier teaching uh technician versus teacher um, coaching so it was a lot of teacher coaching um the closer we got to the trip in in july the more coaching that came about how we were going to play against teams and things like that and the and the more we discovered what the squad was going to be because like by the time it hit summer we had players coming in from college who were just on summer break they were maybe a freshman or sophomore in college so that there was a whole bunch of different players um, in the environment from all walks of life and, and things like that. I was part of the squad that traveled to, we traveled to Kuya, Denmark, and we based ourselves there, played five, uh, or we had nine 
friendly scheduled after the fifth one i think we were in varnamo sweden and i want to say about nine of us left the left the group there in, in varnamo and we went in five or six different directions for contracts for trials some oh. for contracts some for trials um i slept in a train station that night with two other guys wow um nice it, we kind of were like this is where you're going this is the information good luck um and so we slept in the train station well actually we got kicked out of the train station because train station had closed so we actually slept in the bus station but then we got the train the next day we got out we found our way up to torshby and then got picked up in torshby to head to um a place called sislebeck which is up in the middle of nowhere in sweden um kind of and so luckily i was with a really good friend of mine that i'd made from the group of guys at bridges and we we were there for a week we trialed um we played in a couple friendlies over the course of a bit of time and then after like a week and a half we both signed or if and so both of us were there and it was like okay we can we can handle this we're not going to be stuck here alone um housing situation was a lot better than some of the previous yeah. housing situations i've been in and you've had some dandies so far yeah that i think most of those will probably i don't think there's any two any bad ones well we'll see we'll see where <laughs> we get to um but yeah so we we're in we we're in apartments but we we're in a place where it was we we're along like this 200 mile stretch of road every like 20 miles there was a settlement of anywhere between one and 400 people and that was it and you just kept on going up we were like halfway up this valley uh, following this river the Klavaren, which is fed by norwegian glaciers it comes through norway through um sweden then ends up down i think it comes out in uh karlstad no oh, it's a karlstad yeah i think so so we we're up in the middle of nowhere along this river with these these small settlements we were living in a in a township with one pizzeria one petrol station one grocery shop grocery shop a library that was open on like three days a week a bank that was only open like two or three days a week um and then one like sports facility uh, which thankfully we got access to it had the gym had a pool all of that stuff and then we had our training facility as well so talk about experiences and and for the love of the game and and things like that that this was another one where it was like yeah this is you're really finding out whether or not you want to be here but it was we'd gone from chicago we'd come to denmark with the purpose of signing a contract and to an extent we weren't going to say no to opportunities there and were they representing you like did they have an agent helping you out yeah so through bridges we got connected with an agent um probably not the most uh traditional agency kind of agreement or whatever and how does how does i mean if i can ask how does bridges make their money um, do you have to pay to be part of it or do they take a piece of the transfer fee like a piece of your signing bonus there's that type training of thing? fees if you were training in the, those months like February, March, April, May leading up to the trip there's training sure. There's training fees training compensation um, there's a lot of sponsorship from the fellowship group um, and then there is some uh, agency fees whether the agent gets all that or some of it goes back into bridges um, either or sure but um yeah, so that's how I guess Bridges got some of the money, but then we paid for a bunch. We mostly we paid for the flights to get from Chicago to Denmark. Um, but yeah, we were going there. My intention of going there was to get a contract and not come back and not come back. And whether it was going to be 
what I ended up Division Two Sweden, so Tier Four, whether it was gonna be Division Two or Super Aton or whatever, it, it, I was there for a contract. Yeah, and we got it. So um, it was one. It, it was another one of those where like, can we climb the ladder? Um, but because we were so far away up this valley, once again, people didn't come to watch. You'd only have the locals. And you wouldn't have too many scouts and things like that. And you have so, a habit of ending up in the most rural places possible. Yeah, Hello, Chattanooga. <laughs> Here we are. Um, so, yeah, we it was kind of like we did what we could. We we played games. We saved them from relegation, actually, um, nice. which was a big one. We came in mid-season when they weren't doing too hot. And and were there any other, like, was this a team of semi-professionals, professionals and non, or is it all amateur technically? It was, it was amateur, semi-pro at best. Um, but it was a place where these kind of um, unnatural agents would send players that haven't really proven much. Yeah. So we, it was kind of like a, there was a bunch of it's, it's your first half cast players, like it's misfits. kind of like misfits. Yeah, yeah that's probably yeah. the best. best it's a, way to put it's, it. a, it's a weeding out process. Yeah, and gotcha. so like we'd have players coming in and out, and we'd be like, "Oof, maybe not," and things like that. And, <laughs> but like, crazy, let's get on a plane. But everyone, let's go. Like, to an extent, if, even if you're good and the environment's not good, you conform to like the normalcy of it. And like, so even if you were a lot better, and you'd played in better environments, the football we were playing, like sometimes you'd you'd be made to look pretty pretty bang average just because the way it was um but we still were able to perform to an extent and perform well enough that um we kept them out of relegation enjoyed our time had some pretty cool experiences went some pretty cool places uh lived in a completely different country i went to the river every morning at like 7 30 in the morning and just stood in the freezing cold it was probably 38 39 degrees fahrenheit max doing a little wim Hof breathing well, yeah, this was—I mean, this was before I even knew who Wim Hof was, sort of thing. But I was always already in doing cold water immersion, sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I look back on it now. I'm like, yeah, I was living a pretty good life. But then we get football money, but the trainings were in the evening because all the guy, all the Swedish guys were working or whatever. And so Grant and I, we had to find a way to fill our days, and the club was pretty good about it. They. In the absolute middle of nowhere. In the absolute middle of nowhere. So right. the club was really good about it. And I think because they've had players like in the past, they were able to find us jobs. So we were landscapers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you guys missed the air quotes, the, landscapers. The average age of people up in Sislebeck, um was probably 60 and above. Um, wow. And, <laughs> and there was a lot of animals as well. But um, so these, the the people there couldn't really mow their lawns and and chop their bushes and stuff like that and so that was our job and so grant and i would go around with the trailer and the lawnmower the weed eater um the hedge trimmer things like that and and would do that for uh three or four hours a day and then go home rest up and then train in the evening keep you a little extra fit so yeah it kept us fit gave us something to do and i mean that was also reflective time sure you'd be able to you'd be out there weed eating a massive field of grass or whatever and you just think, think. Of it. you just think yeah. whether whether it's about football whether it's about life whether it's like how the heck have i ended up here <laughs> like things like that so um yeah the, it was just one of another one of those experiences where you kind of find a little bit more about yourself and and you can't kind of like reflect on where i am where i'm going what i want to do and what's football given you and what age were you at that point i would have been oh 
23 probably. Okay. So you're still pretty young. Yeah. I mean, you're still pretty young now, but 23 is, you're just out of, co- you're not long out of college. Yeah. It was within. So 23 that, is that big in between stage where you feel like you're a grown up, but it was, <laughs> you're not. It was like a year and a half since I'd been in college. And this is, this is 2017 at this point. This is 2017. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any thoughts? Like you said you had a lot of time to reflect, like what kind of things you, were you reflecting on and kind of where did, where did you picture going? What kept you from, I guess, calling it quits because you're in, you know, you're on your second or third try at at going professional. The love of the game, Breezy. I'm just <laughs> um, kidding. I never really thought about quitting. It was just like, well, where can this game take me? That was probably the fir- one of the first play times where I was like, yeah, I might not make it, but uh, I might not make it to the top tier, top 1% of footballers making 200000 a week or whatever. But like, where can this game take me? Um what experiences can I can I have? What countries can I see? Things like that. And I think that was really the first time because I'd, I'd been to Ireland and England, Northern Ireland and England, um, <laughs> and so I had a taste of, of of cultures or taste of football. But this was my first like culture taste because it was like they don't speak English. They live life a completely different way, um, and it was like this is kind of cool. So it, that was kind of my first time where i was probably reflecting on like oh what where can this take me and i actually started writing um during this time i've been writing ever since i started at dairy um writing blogs on a website mm. and but the whole time up until sweden it was mostly updates like daily updates or weekly updates about my trial or whatever when, that's why it started in ireland but by the time i was in sweden i started writing psychological like psychologically based articles whether it was on belief or whether it was on decisions or whether it was on opportunities whether it was on time like just different things that obviously i was spending so much time thinking yeah out in the fields weed eating weed eating um <laughs> standing way to do standing it. in a freezing cold river thinking oh this water once was a glacier and and where's a moose going to come from out of that bush or <laughs> things like that and so yeah, I started writing and, and that's when my writing shifted from updates to this like potentially like motivational or, or like life-seeking writing. And um, that, that's in, you said that's in a blog? It's in a blog. So that's accessible to like the general public? That is accessible to so the general no matter public. So no matter what you're listening to, we'll put that link in the description yeah. in, the, in the show notes. And if I maybe missed one or two things, you can read every day for about 150 days from wow. the first day that I arrived in Derry. Um talking about my trial there and you'd probably get more details that i may have missed about my experience wow he's a footballer in uh, wow now he's confucius what's going on <laughs> he's a writer man so, that's awesome yeah that was that was the time in sweden um and yeah it, i guess it made me reflect on why why i was doing it a little bit and what i was learning from it um that was a lot of the things i wrote about what i was learning from it too so still playing center back Still playing centre back. I played a little bit of left back in Sweden. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that was a that was a good old time, um, <laughs> running up and down the left wing, trying to get in at the far post and and things like that. But once again, left foot came in handy. Um, yeah. And it does it was, that. Yeah, left back or or centre back was the two positions I played there. So you're you're in Sweden for a little while. How how long were you there? Um, probably two and a half to three months. So we came in the mid-season break that was how we were able to play friendlies with the bridges group Mm -hmm. we played exhibition games against um super league teams in denmark first division teams in denmark and things like that we played some unreal teams um 
and then we got there in mid July sort of thing, and I was in I was there from mid July, September October no August September, um, and I think I left near the end of September. We only had three months to stay. We were on the three month sure. ninety day visiting visa. Yeah, um, I missed the last two games of the season, but we'd already we were already safe. 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 Um, okay, yeah. And I was just like I I'm not willing to um, yeah to to stay longer because I want I want to be able to get back into this country. Yeah, yeah, you don't um, you don't want to overstay your visa. Yeah, so I what well, was there for two and a half months. I guess the first part of it I was in I was in Denmark and I left and I went back to New Zealand. And thankfully the season in New Zealand runs different to the European season, so I literally went straight from Sweden straight to Wellington, which wasn't even home. I've been away from home since Christmas of 2015 and it's now October of 2017. And the first thing I did when I went back to New Zealand was not go home. I went to Wellington and went to a new team and met with the head coach and um, and signed a contract uh, in the New Zealand National League with Team Wellington. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna break in before you go any further here because CFC fans will actually find this part really interesting. Eric, you took the position of a former CFC player who did not return playing center back. For Team Wellington. Nick Eddington. Uh, yeah. yeah, Nick that's Eddington. Funny. That's funny. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't know that he had been playing. I knew that he was a Team Wellington player. His last his last season was the season that ended okay. before the season you so started let's, up. let's rewind when I'm playing for Canterbury United youth team. Okay. We have played Team Wellington youth team in 2011. We've lost 3-1. Nick Eddington was a center back for Team Wellington youth team. Um, I remember parts of that game. A guy called Louis Fenton scored unbelievable goals. They just tore us to shreds. So still, we won the national league. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but yes, Nick Nick Eddington played for that team Wellington youth team, and yeah. I, yeah, I guess he just stayed in that in their in their system until then. He also well, went, he uh, he so went to Marshall. Yeah, he went to Marshall, and then and he then graduated. Yeah, so he would have gone back after graduation, I guess. Um, uh, he played. He went to. He played for Des Moines Menace the year after he, us. He played for. Uh, I think he played after his junior year with us. Yeah, right? twenty fifteen. Des Moines Menace after his senior. Twenty sixteen was in Des Moines. Then he was in I think Croatia for a year. Yeah, uh, and then went back to New Zealand yeah. and played this the 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 season that ended in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a. I guess there's small little tidbits everywhere. I mean, CFC's worldwide, baby. Nuggets. Fo- football's a small, small world. Oh yeah. Um, and you'll find that wherever you go, whoever you play against, it's a. How a, did you? Before we go past that, like, how, so how did you know about him playing for CFC, and or did you? I, yeah, I knew that he played for CFC. I think I did some research. Um, somehow, somewhere, his name popped up. Um, but then the other side of it was at the dinner back in Mar- early March at Crew Brock's house. I was talking to some of the guys, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we got two owners from New Zealand." I was like, you got to find out who they are because I can <laughs> guarantee you that I would know at least one of them. And I do. I still don't know who the second owner in New Zealand is, um, but the first owner I actually know really well. And when he saw that I signed for the club, he sent me a message. He's like, I'm a part owner. And I was like, <laughs> I, I figured I'd, I knew one, of the, one or two of the people that 
had a had shares in That's the club. Fantastic. So yeah, there's connections to New Zealand all over, but I'm not sure how. But I yeah, somehow I fi- found out that Nick played. We can we can talk about a little bit about how you um, how you got to CFC. Yeah, all down the when line. It, yeah, when it gets there, that might have to be like a part two. <laughs> <laughs> so we we can still keep going if you're good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and you're in. Did you end up in Wellington because you knew somebody there? Were you coming in on trial? How so Wellington work? winds all the way back to I can I can picture myself walking to the gym one day when I was in England from my caravan to the gym, which was about a kilometer down the road, and a LinkedIn post had popped up from the head coach team Wellington saying looking for a left side of centre back for the Oceania Champions League. Did you say LinkedIn? Yep. Okay. okay so congratulations that, on having the first job ever found on LinkedIn. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Who says that became a job? So, but this was for a, for the previous season. So oh, okay. I, he he heard LinkedIn. I heard Oceania Champions League. Different wavelengths here. Yeah. So, the Oceania Champions League is usually at the end of the New Zealand National League season, and they were just looking to strengthen their squad. And so I sent a message to Jose then, and said this is where I'm at kind of like, and there was interest there, but it didn't really work timing wise, financial wise, whatever. But we still had the, the connection was struck when I was in England. So this was what end of 2016. Yeah. And here it is. I'm in, as soon as I got to Sweden and I knew the timing of the season, I was like, let's sort my next move. Cause it's going to come in two months, reached back out to Jose. They were still very interested in me. I think I potentially signed a contract with team Wellington before I'd even finished my contract in Sweden. And technically, I didn't actually sign that contract. My father signed it and because I didn't have access to a scanner, a printer, or anything. And Hello, bumfuck nowhere, Sweden. And <laughs> and, uh, do- and DocuSign was no such thing at that right, time. Right, yeah. And so I think... Beautiful. Through it all, like, I'm not even kidding. I'm pretty sure Dad signed the contract for me. Um, he definitely signed the contract and by he I mean Eric FIFA you're, when you're listening Eric signed the contract so um, I then I I plan or I mean I planned it all and when they would when they when the Swedish club tried to keep me for the last two games I was like no nah, no nah, I gotta go yep. I'm, Not I'm going because I don't want to overstay my visa um, I'm going because I'm going straight <laughs> to another club straight into preseason and we've got our first game in two weeks time yeah I mean, um, it's two reasons to leave. Yeah, and so double the reason. I left. Yeah, I left. Um, I left Sweden. Went straight to Wellington. Uh, I had I tweeted that I was back in New Zealand because flying from Auckland to Wellington, there's this um, beautiful mountain that is uh, this perfect like um, oh volcano shape. And I took a photo of it, and I was like, oh, it's nice to be home. And I had three or four people like send me DMs like. Um, where are you going? What team are you playing for? Like, and one of them had, or two of them had been like at clubs in New Zealand. So people knew I was back in New Zealand. They didn't know who I was signing for. They didn't know whether I was going back to my hometown because my hometown now had a national league team. So rewind back to when I'm in high school. My hometown didn't have a national league team. That's why I had to travel to Christchurch yeah. to play for Canterbury United. Now Tasman United was a thing, and so that was my hometown. Um, but I I went to Team Wellington um, and people saw as the social media team um, posted a video of us walking out in a preseason friendly and people saw that on social media and see, saw me in a Team Wellington kit and that was the end of that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Team Wellington, here I come, played in the first preseason friendly and then the next week we played the Charity Cup, um, which was the winner of the regular season versus the winner of the champ- like the, the championship at the end of the season from the previous year. 
we'd played we played Auckland City, the powerhouse in New Zealand football, went to the Club World Cup ten like for like ten years in a row sort of thing, um, and they had current all whites, they had all sorts of these top top players. We go out there and beat them three one, we're like we're going to win the league, we're going to go undefeated, like this is unreal. <laughs> um, that was probably one of the best games I've ever played on New Zealand soil. Um, I still remember some of the feedback I got from it and it was on live television and things like that. It was one of the, yeah, one of the best games I'd played. It was the first time I'd played in New Zealand in what, five and a half, six years as well. Before, since before college. Since, yeah, since before college. So it was like, it, it was a great place to start. But, um, and I, 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 I played well for the first few games, but then outside of the football, um, the, the agreement, of housing, of work, and things like that, hadn't been followed through with, oh. and so life started going not downhill, but um, thing, promises hadn't been fulfilled, and I was paying for my own housing. Um, I was trying to find work that would work, like which was suitable for me playing and traveling and everything like that, and it was becoming a real struggle, and so it just ate away at me and I was making a bit of money but my expenses far outweighed my income and by this time I'd kind of so in my time in Sweden I started reflecting on like my values of why I'm playing and I had I have like three pillars of, of why I'm playing and one of them's if I, to get better or to learn um, the other one's to enjoy it and the other one's to to make enough money to survive and if e- either of those three were not being fulfilled then I would question wh- why I was being why I was there and the making money was being questioned and therefore the learning was also being questioned um, because I wasn't in a good mental space to keep performing. I went to the coach a few times and I couldn't get any immediate feedback or because or, I, I started not playing. I started being on the bench and things like that and so I was like, well, what's going on sort of thing. And so I didn't get direct feedback on what they wanted to see from me and, and things like that and, and that was becoming a real mental struggle. And so, um, therefore, I was, I was learning other things. I wasn't learning football related, but I was learning mental side of it, um, emotional regulation, things like that. And so, it it really um, it really took a toll on me. Um, and so that was one of the things that I wasn't learning, and therefore, I had no enjoyment. Um, yeah. And so, after what four four months there. Um, we'd have it. We had a Christmas break, so you have three weeks off at Christmas break. I'd had discussions at home with mum and dad about it and everything like that. And I came back after Christmas and if, and I gave it a couple of weeks to see if it changed, and nothing changed. And I was like, I'm out of here. I, I like this isn't fulfilling what I'm trying to find in football. Um, as much as the club was in a very good position, um, they were playing in the Oceania Champions League again that year and things like that it was just like well now these are my values these are what i stand for this is why i'm playing um and i and i and i left them behind i guess um competition's competition competition's gonna be everywhere but if you're not fulfilling something that makes you you know feel like you're fulfilling your personal role then why be there yeah and so it was one of those where i i I was like it's not it's just not gonna work and especially if i wasn't getting feedback from the coaching and actually getting given an opportunity sort of thing gotcha um the, when it sunk in, I was. You'd sat on the bench for a whole game. You'd watched. I'd watch our team lose two one in like the eighty something minute, and I'm doing doggies to keep fit after a game, and everyone's stretching or whatever. And I'm doing doggies. And I'm like, nah, 
nah, I, I could I can I have I have value I could be valuable somewhere else and I can contribute in a lot more because at that stage I wasn't really contributing in other ways outside of just being a player I wasn't mm. I wasn't a, a, a full-on leader or I wasn't a a mentor to younger players yet I wasn't coaching I wasn't doing any of that so and you weren't being treated well either and to an extent outside of not playing and so like it was just like nah I could I could be doing doggies in another place where I'm actually happy (laughs) um so I yeah I I left them and I went it was kind of like a um seen as a bit of a a dick move but I went to this academy in the same city where there was a lot of friction um, between the academy and, and Team Wellington because oh. the academy's got some of the best young players in New Zealand. Like these guys are, the academy's un- unbelievable. And Team Wellington wanted to have them to play in the National League. But the academy was like, nah, because we don't want to mix the environment. So the environment created at the academy is this, is very special and unique. And when you take a player and put him into another environment, his habits change and his development changes and his mentality changes and his training, everything changes. And so there was a lot of friction there because they were some of the best young players in New Zealand. And I'm talking like 16, 17, 18. And then you've got Wellington, Team Wellington, playing in the National League. You want these young players playing in the National League, but the academy wanted them playing in the National League in the right environment. And so I learned about this sneakily when I was at Team Wellington. I went (laughs) went out there once or twice to see what they were doing because they just invited me out there say, hey, come check it, come have a look sort of thing. And one time I went out and trained and I was like, all right then. Um... Sorry, Team Wellington. <laughs> and so when I said, uh, I, I went to the coach that in, at Team Wellington, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the club. And he was like, have you made a decision? I'm like, not really, not yet, um, of where I was going to go or whatever. And two days later, I'm at Ole Academy working <laughs> working as an intern and, play, and training with them um, to prepare for their winter season. So the winter season is different to the National League. National League's played in the summer. And then there's a local winter league. Um, and so that's where that team would play in. Okay. And so I went out to the academy. Not, to, the, not the same league. Not the same league. Um, one step down. And so I went out to Ole Academy and started training, playing, coaching slash interning in, in this environment. And it how, was... Go ahead. How, how was being a coach? Um, I wasn't fully a coach. I was obser- I was doing a lot of obser- observation and learning how they created this environment. And it was the most elite performance environment I've ever been a part of. And it's the small academy in New Zealand in a place called Porirua, where they, at the time, I think there was about 180 kids. And it was just this focused, centralized area where kids wanted to come to get better. And they were there to get better. It didn't matter what their outcome was going to be. The parents were brought in, the coaches were brought in, the players were brought in. It was unbelievable. Um, and it continues to develop and grow and but like so that environment to me was great because i want to learn and so i was like heck yeah like i've come into this fantastic environment this training environment which i've never been a part of and it was uh, more elite and and than I'd, what i'd been in prior um and so i was loving it and enjoying it a lot and learning a lot on the field off the field how the operations ran how performance was like all of that, which has got me to where I am um, today in terms of what what else I do outside of football as well. So I was there for eight months. Then the league season had finished and it was time to find a national league club again because it was turning into summer. And I 
went on the I left Olay and by the end of Olay the last couple months had become really taxing um I don't know whether I think to an extent I I didn't disagree with what they were doing I I guess I didn't fully grasp or understand the long-term development projects. So these kids have been there for like three, four years and I'm trying to squish three, four years into to six months sort of thing and get me to where I am and I wasn't to where they wanted me to be sort of thing. So therefore they potentially wanted to keep me there longer to then get me somewhere where, I, but I wasn't willing to do that. Um, and so it become really taxing and, and my 23rd birthday or 24th birthday was there. I spent the day reviewing my personal values um like my, it was like a middle a quarter life crisis <laughs> as such. but it, same, same same kind of thing you were doing in sweden like same yeah, kind of but, reflections oh way more in depth i i i wrote down different values that i had and then i numbered them football was my seventh value on my list wow and it's just like damn all right so because i so talking about my sports psychologist that had when i was a tennis player i reached back out to him in, in June or July that year and we talked about identity and we talked about Eric Panzer the footballer and Eric Panzer the human and up until then I'd always be like he's Eric Panzer the footballer like if I lost I'd be in a bad mood if I played bad I'd be in a bad mood if I made a mistake like I think everything would be down and so I had no um, disconnection to it and so this was the first time I really reflected on that from what he told me and then and then I went ahead and did that with my values and, and the personal mission statement and things like that. And I discovered that football was seventh on my list, but I think adventure was four and I think learning or education was three. And so once again, it kind of um, rediscovered the my three values for playing football in terms of um always learning enjoying it and and surviving in terms of financials um and so i took two weeks off i had i had a trial planned um at a, a national league club in new zealand which was in a different area to wellington and so i planned this uh two-week road trip around new zealand because i hadn't seen the north island i grew up on the south island you didn't go to North Island too often other than go to Auckland or Wellington for tennis or for football or whatever. So I hadn't seen the North Island. So I literally packed a pop-up tent and uh, packed up my car and, and left. But literally the day I went day I went to leave town, I met with the assistant coach from Team Wellington because he was actually a great um, mentor as such to me through the whole process when I was at Team Wellington. It was a struggle um, and he was talking to me more about the mental side of things because he wasn't able to, he tried to give me feedback football wise and why I wasn't playing or whatever, but he wasn't the head coach. He couldn't make those decisions. Um, and so I met with him and we just talked about different things and we talked about what plans I had and, and he had talked to the coach where I was going to go on trial with, and he was quite confident, but he was like, have you spoken to this coach at this club? And I was like, no, he's like, send him a message and just, just see what's up sort of thing. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go on my road trip and, and then I'll get to that. And so I go on my road trip and it was, um, it was the best 14 days I've had, I had had in a really long time. I was able to just to disconnect. I had no 
concept of time. I had nowhere to be every day. I just had like a, all right, I might end up here. I might end up there. I had a tent wherever I went. If it was raining, which it rained most days, um, I'd call I'd call like a, a hostel and I'd get a room for like 10 or 15 bucks a night sort of thing. Um, so I did this road trip. It was fantastic. I caught up with different friends in different places, things like that. And then I, um, I ended up in uh, where my trial was going to be, stayed with a family that I knew. It was fantastic. Did this trial and like... The coach, the team Wellington assistant coach was like, yeah, I've, I've spoken to the coach. They, they're really interested in you. I think they're going to sign you, sort of thing. I've done, I've, I've had this trial, and on the Friday we get an email whether or not we've been invited back, and I hadn't been invited back. And I gave the guy a call, and I was like, I'm, I'm not quite sure what's up. And he's like, oh yeah, we've already got our centre backs for the season. And I'm just like, well then why the heck did you bring me in on trial? Um, and so that was just one of those like headbangers. And so, thankfully. I had the number of this other coach who the, the team Wellington assistant had told me about and I gave him a call and I was like, this is my situation. Like, would you be interested? And he was like, yeah, definitely let, give me a couple of days and we'll get a contract. Like we'll, we'll, we'll write up something and, and without even without going on trial, without having to trial. He knew where it'd been. He knew the environments had been and he spoke to the different people I'd, I'd played for or whatever. And the best thing about this club was they needed New Zealand players. So in the New Zealand national league, at the time, you could have, I think, six and or it might have been seven imports and one Oceania player on the, in the match day squad. So that's a max of eight. A max of eight internationals. And this club, the head coach was Irish and he'd brought a bunch of Irish guys out from League of Ireland. I'll get to some of those stories in a minute. <laughs> but so they needed Kiwi players and they needed pretty decent Kiwi players that could contribute. And so he was like all for a Kiwi player. And so... Uh, he they sent a contract to me. I was like, great. So I had to get get back in my car, drive through Wellington, take <laughs> the ferry. I stayed one night at home, and then started, hello, mom and dad. Yeah, pretty much started <laughs> started heading south, and I ended up down in Dunedin uh, with Southern United. And so, um, I, Southern Southern was my second national league club, or actually third because I played for Canterbury United senior team. Um, prior to going to college after the youth league campaign and so i ended up at southern and they took care of me they did all the right things it was fantastic like the the irish coach and the players just brought this level of professionalism that wasn't really displayed in too many um clubs or as many clubs in new zealand or at least the european professionalism type thing and so it was quite enjoyable. I enjoyed the environment. I enjoyed the players. Um, I could relate to a lot of them. But so the funny story is, is the midfield. Uh, there was a midfielder at Southern called Danny Ledworth. Back when I was at Derry City, the guys who I lived with, um, they were two of them were friends with Danny. And at this time, Danny was still in in our Northern Ireland, and he'd come up to Derry to do to coach a team. And I was like, yeah, I'll come come down and watch and, and hang out with the with the boys or whatever. And after we watched the game, they came they came over to Danny and we were talking to Danny and Danny's and we're there, oh yeah, he's on trial, he's from New Zealand or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm going to New Zealand. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Southern United. And I literally laughed in his face because <laughs> Southern United had been at the bottom of the table for the last ten years. They've been dreadful. Um, Ter- like terrible team terrible environment and so i've li- literally laughed in his face and here i am three years later 
finding him at Southern United. Walking at, walking into the office at Football South, and it's like, what's up, bro? <laughs> I was like, here we are. <laughs> I was like, maybe it's not so bad after all, is it? Um, but like, as I say, like they really turned the club around. Um, Paul, as the head coach, all this professionalism, brought these Irish guys out, and and four of them stayed for four years, and they've developed this academy, and 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 everything changed in, in Dunedin football because of these guys had a had a really like pretty solid year played every single game in the national league that year my best game was against team wellington of course shocker under the roof at forsyth bar stadium a twenty five thousand seater stadium with only about 500 people in it but it was it <laughs> that, was that, that sounds like a uh, that sounds like a uniquely american experience um, as well it was it was quite yeah it was an incredible experience and i've played against team wellington it's best game i've played um we draw nil nil they had that year that team wellington team that i'd been a part of previously they had won the oceania champions league and gone to the club world cup which i could have been a part of but i chose not to because i left the club and then we play them later that year and draw nil nil with them and i was just like yeah that tasted pretty good (laughs) um and so that was that was the first year i was in dunedin i lived in a homestay with this um with with a guy who just enjoyed sports and he was just a kiwi guy um it was like it was a proper house a proper sized bed it was a three minute walk from the beach it just it just felt so much better than a lot of the environments i'd been a part of and so all of that just builds into this like you enjoy it I was making a bit of money. I was coaching as well and, and things like that. Um, I was enjoying it and, and I was learning because Paul was a bit of both. He was a teacher and a technician. Like he would teach, but we still had to win games. And so there was both sides of the of the football um, development there. So yeah, that was um, that was the first season at Southern. So what was that, 2018 to 2019? Um but because I'd came into the picture so late, this is a kind of cool story. Um, I'd came in, it's not cool for Marcus, but um, <laughs> I came into the picture quite late and had already got his squad and he was like, okay, well, I've got my squad. But he was like, okay, here's a decent decent Kiwi that can start each week. And so I'd come in and I started every single game at centre-back. Now, the centre-backs that they had recruited, one of them was Irish. So he definitely was going to start every single game. But the other one was a guy called Marcus Fuitoft who went to Duke, who got drafted by Seattle, I believe. Didn't work out, but... He was a Kiwi as well? No, he was Norwegian. And so Marcus was planning to play centre-back alongside the Irish guy for the season, and I assume Paul had that plan too. But Paul could only play a certain amount of internationals. Oh, there it is. And unfortunately for Marcus, like, I'd come in and I played centre-back. And Marcus played every, everywhere. He played right back. He played left back. He played defensive midfield. He was filling gaps. Um, it wasn't Marcus's most successful season. I'll put it that way. He had two red cards in like four games. <laughs> Just because it was quite, I mean. He's playing out of position. Fouling is winning. For the guy, like, I, and I understand it. For the guy, his head would have been gone. Like, he was like, all right, this is going to be pretty good. And he's playing out of position. Um, he was He was a great player. It was probably more so because I couldn't play any other position and they needed me on the field. And that's why I went to centre-back. Um, or Paul didn't think I could play any other position sort of thing. So um, for that, for, for that, Marcus um, ended up being put in different places and ended up 
often lunging for balls and things like that, which was unnatural because he wasn't in his natural position, I guess. So he didn't have his greatest season. Um, I think he played 20 minutes at centre-back the whole year. He then went on and signed a pro contract at Hamilton Academics in the Scottish Premier League. Nice. Which is, I mean, it just goes to show like football's a wild game. Mm. I'm not saying he's not a bad player, but I've kept the guy out of a team and he's gone on and signed a pro contract. Good for him. Like I, I'm stoked for the guy. He's he's a wonderful person. We get along quite well because we've been to America. He went to yeah, he went to school over here and stuff. Um, and it just goes to show that like it doesn't matter who you are. Like your opportunity might be right around the corner. Yeah. Um, and so it was one of those where it's just like yeah, football's not fair either. Like football's a brutal game. Yeah. Um, the guy has just had a, had an awful season. And he's ended up on a pro contract. And next thing you know, he's marking Jermaine Defoe when they play Rangers. Or yeah. Was Jermaine Defoe playing for Rangers? I think he was playing for one of the two, Celtic or Rangers. It was Rangers. But yeah, he, he was marking Jermaine Defoe and then playing against Scott Brown for Celtic and stuff. And I'm just like, God. Like, we were training every week sort of thing and, yeah. and stuff. Um, so yeah, good on the guy. Um, but yeah, that was just a funny story from, from my time at Southern. Um, Where'd you go from there? So... The New Zealand National League kind of lines up quite well with the Australian NPL, which is a second tier in Australia. And it had become a tradition for a lot of players in New Zealand to they play in the New Zealand National League, go to the NPL, play Just in the NPL, back and, forth. and they bounce back and forth. Similar to how the NWSL does with the top women's league in Australia yep. here. They, they, bounce, they play off seasons either yep. way. Yeah, and because it's a, a, the National League in New Zealand's on their six-month season, the NPL's gotten to an eight-month season, but... Um, there's no like 10 month season down there in, in, in any league other than the A League. Mm. So you're able to do it. And so I started showing some interest in it. Um, I was actually still at Southern in February when I got a call from this guy. And they were looking for a, um, they were looking for a center back. And I was one of the names on the list that they were, they were looking at. They called me and they were like, look, can you speak to your coach and see if you can get released? Because we need you over here next week. And so I had to go to my coach and be like, hey, like, I've received a potential offer from a club in Australia. Um, there's potential for me to leave. And he's like, look, if you believe it's a better opportunity than where you are now, like, we're not going to stand in your way. And so I took that as a, yeah, you can go if, if they want you. <laughs> so I've, I've, gone, I've gone back to the coach and said, yeah, like, uh, I'm, I'm available to sign. Um, and, and we went back and forth a little bit about different things. And then like, after a week of conversation, um, they come back to me and they're like, oh, yeah, we've, we've signed another another player um, who's just had a bit more experience in the Australian system than you have. Well, it turns out that player was my centre-back partner at Team Wellington. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. And so, once again, football is a funny old game. Scotty had played, Scott Hillier had played in Australia prior to going to team wellington whereas i'd played in sweden and our northern ireland england yeah. sort of thing and they just so scott knew the melbourne npl and so they signed scott i don't know if scott knows that i was in the running for it or they were looking at signing me too and so that like that's just the end of that like that one but then that coach passed on my name to another team in that league that was looking for a central defender and that had an international spot available so in the npl you can only have two internationals oh wow yeah. interesting and that's not even like and one of those could be from the Asian so New Zealand has the Oceania link because New Zealand is part of the Oceania yeah. Federation Australia has the Asian link but 
they didn't it was too total total and so or at least in the NPL, and so and New Zealanders have no no special status. Like Canada no. and the U.S. have a special no. nothing, nothing, nothing. Hmm. And we can talk about. So, if a Kiwi player is to play for an Australian team in the A League, you're considered an international. But if an Australian is to play for the New Zealand team in the A League, they're considered a domestic player. Oh boy, sounds just like Canada and the U.S. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there's all sorts of that stuff. But um, this is why we need a common market. Keep going. I'm getting, I'm getting stared at right now by Breezy. <laughs> <laughs> so a second club in Australia in the, in the NPL contacts me, starts talking about what I'd need financially and housing and everything like that. And then we get quite far into discussions and then it just goes quiet. Oh, that's always good. And um, didn't hear back from them, didn't get told why they didn't want to sign me or whatever. And I, I think I tracked their team and, and looked if they signed a centre-back or what or I don't know, but I knew that the, the club had had some interesting struggles. In, in Australia, a lot of the teams are related to a European um, descent. So there'll be Croatian clubs, there'll be Montenegro clubs, there'll be Greek clubs, there'll be um, Czech club, clubs and things like that. So there was always complexities to all of that. And so I just didn't hear back from this club after a while. And so I just got on with things at, at Southern um, and then it came to close to the end of the season at Southern. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had an opportunity in Finland um, that I was talking to. Was it in an actual city, though? Or was it in the uh, middle of nowhere? That's yet to be. I mean, hey, come play in Finland and you can mow grass. Yeah, I'll go. And then play. I'll go do that. I'll, I'd quite <laughs> happily. I think that was more painting, uh, painting walls and stuff than mowing grass. But um, <laughs> So... But yeah, I had the op- opportunity in Finland, but then another club in in Melbourne hit me up. But this, they were playing in State League One, which is Tier Four Australia. I'm never, I'm not in football for the money, but this money was ridiculous for Tier Four, for the standard, for the amount of training, for for the um, facilities, everything. It was re- it was silly. As uh, in, it like, just wasn't good, equal. silly, or bad good, silly. silly. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. really? And it was one of those where, like, well, if I play well, I've already got a foot in at two of these other NPL clubs. Like, yeah, potentially, like that could happen. And so I go over, and I had been used to these environments. So in the discussions with the coach, it, it was like, oh yeah, I need housing taken care of, potentially transportation taken care of, um, and. So I thought that would be like, yeah, like that house, that cover my housing and things like that, and then they pay me on top of it. Well, I get there and and it comes up the first month and they're like, oh, you got to pay rent, and I was just like, I thought that was taken care of. His way of saying thinking it was taken care of. We'll was, find you a place. We'll find you a place. Oh, that's always nice. So thankfully, I was making a, <laughs> a decent amount of money um, that I was able to afford it. But after four or five weeks, I was like. I'm not getting any better. I'm probably getting worse. Um, not really enjoying it. The, the only good thing about the place was the money. Um, and it was really good. I, I got a, they leased a car for me. Um, they actually pay for it this time? They paid half of it. I paid the other half. Um, but like the car was like this brand new, like decent, really decent car sort of thing. So it was, it was a learning curve. Um, and, I got to go see a few like A League games and and go watch some rugby games and stuff like that. Mel, I'd never lived in Melbourne or in Australia. I'd never been to Australia, 
It's a very large city too. Very big city. Um, very sport oriented city. Now have three A League clubs. Yeah, they do. Wow. Um, yeah, they certainly do. And so, um, yeah, it was an interesting environment. But after five or six weeks, I started like, I was like, nah, I can't stay here. And so I knew the transfer window was opening. And as I'd done prior, it hadn't been successful. But as <laughs> I'd done prior, I have databases of clubs around the world and have email addresses, phone numbers for sporting directors, for head coaches, for those clubs at this year, at whichever year or whatever. And You could be Bridges. Sorry, yeah. just saying. <laughs> I mean, potentially. But <laughs> the fact that it hadn't been successful, maybe not. But <laughs> um, it's a lot of okay, yeah, yeah, you got you. <laughs> smart, smart. Very, very self-reflective. So I've, I've got all these MPL clubs um, details because I was like, I know I can play at the MPL level, which is level two or tier two in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I've hit up oh, probably 30 or 40 MPL clubs. So there's an MPL in each state in Australia. So there's seven states, six states. Sorry, Australia. I don't know the geograph- geography of that. But there's a, there's a handful of MPL teams. And so as much as I could find information on every single one of them, I sent, I sent off all these emails. I got four phone calls and about seven emails back, which is probably the highest success rate I've ever had from what I from from the cold calling or the cold emailing that I've done. Mm-hmm. And I got this one call from um, this club in Brisbane, and Brisbane's a great city. Um, they were gunning for the the championship. They were in um, the FFA Cup and things like that. And so I got this. I got this call. I was literally in the middle of Melbourne, surrounded by heaps of people, and I was with a guy that I'd played with when I was at Bridges, but I was in Melbourne, and he'd found his way to Melbourne as well, and he wow. was playing in Melbourne. So I was with him. I had a phone that the earpiece didn't work, so I had to put him on speakerphone, so I could hear this guy, and I didn't hear what club he was with. I didn't hear too much or except like he thought I'd love it um, that I'd fit right into their system and that they were looking for a specific player in this and uh, to play the role and they saw my footage they spoke to different people about me and they thought I'd be perfect but I didn't know which club this was <laughs> I'm not kidding like I, all I heard was this like English accent on the phone and so I go home that night and I'm like scro- scrolling through checking the, the numbers the different clubs and figuring out like putting pieces together and then I was like, oh, it's, it's this club. And so I think they had to email me. And once they emailed it to me, I was emailed whatever they emailed. I was like, okay, I figured out who they are now. <laughs> so I do my research. And yeah, like they were they were in second place at the time with games in hand, with the potential to win the league. Um, and everything they talked about was like really good. He's this young English coach. Um, so I, I, he was more technically... Um, technically targeted than it was like the old English style he actually wanted to play football and things like that so um, they wanted me to come up and trial and I was like that's probably not going to be able to be done like my club's not going to let me come up and trial <laughs> for a week um, from from here you're going to have to sign me straight away and I was like you, you're probably just going to have to trust me and sign me straight away and so they went back and forth a little bit and they were like okay and so then I went to my club and the club I was with had been doing pretty poorly. Like the coaches lost the dressing room, 
players didn't have any faith or anything like that. The last game I played in, actually, we were down 3-0 at halftime and the coaches walked into the changing room at halftime and said, you guys sort it out and then walked out. So we're down 3-0 at halftime. And so us as players, we were like, okay, let's change formation. Let's do this. Because we all, I mean, we'd been around, like some of us had been around, we knew what we wanted to do. We come back out, score one goal. We have a set, we have a corner. I score a header, we score another. So it's 3-2. We're playing like unbelievable. And we score a third goal and it's 3-3. And the coaches have done nothing. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and, so, and like this is the last game I've played for the club. And so we've gone three three. We probably saved the coach's job with that result. And then I've gone to the coach on the Tuesday, being like, "Yep, see you later. Um, here's my gear. Where's my final paycheck or <laughs> final bag of money, sort of thing." Brown paper bag. <laughs> um, That's what's up. And um, are you a, are you a uh, an official voting for a World Cup spot? Or <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I mean, New Zealand and Australia just got the joint bid for the Women's World Cup. Um, I'll true. see you there. <laughs> it helped that the only competition was Colombia. Hey, it was still it's, pretty damn it, close. It, it's going to be a blast. I'm excited. Yeah, that should be good. You trying to go? Of course I'm going to go. There's one of one team from America on the national team level that's worth rooting for right now. Oh. Fact check. Brutal. True. Um, it's not, not, not one team that I love, but one team worth going to. Anyway, keep, keep going. So... I then left Melbourne, flew to Brisbane, which is about a two and a half hour flight, and um, and I get to Brisbane. I arrive, get picked up by the coach and the assistant coach at the airport, like eleven in the morning. Go into the office, sign the different things, get the clearance online. They had a game that night, and by the time all my paperwork was done after arrival and everything was done electronically, I could have played in the game that night. <laughs> wow, that ITC was quick. Well, it, I didn't have to do it because yeah, I was already in Australia. Australia, Australia. Oh, very. Oh, of course. I've, I've missed a few ITC stories actually, though. But um, oh, we can go back. <laughs> no, that's all right. We'll be here all night. We're already here all night anyway. So, <laughs> is Rachel bringing dinner up soon or what? Uh, she, I mean, she might as well can. And it's vegan, so <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's a whole other story. What? <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have a part two. Um, and so, I've I was available to play, but I didn't because um, the coach was just like, "Nah, that'll." It's that been would, a long day for you. That would absolutely mess with some of these guys' heads. Um, but either way, I was still there. I watched the game. After the game, the official photographer did all my headshots, did um, did everything, did a proper announcement, um, taking photos in the stands and things like that. Um, the boys won. I don't know what the score was. I met some of them there. And then um, I went to the place I was staying at. I was staying with the assistant coach. So once again, it was, it was a house. It was a bed that was bigger than it wasn't three feet wide and yeah it was decent sized bed and it was a decent area they'd because i told them what i required in terms of housing and um and transportation stuff like that and they took care of me in that sense took care of my housing they got me a bicycle brisbane wasn't too big and so i was able to use the bike to get well i mean brisbane's big but where i was living was very relative to what i needed to get to sure so i biked to and from training um, great warm up, terrible warm down, because it was a. <laughs> I, I'd go down a hill to get to training. Awesome. And then on the way home, I just had like a, a really tough training, and I'd have to bike up this hill, at, late at night, sort of thing. And then so I had the bike, and they got me a travel card to get on the train or get on the bus, and it was like literally like a ten minute bus ride into the city, and the city was beautiful. I loved it. Um, and and I, I as the coach had told me, um. 
there was a spot that they needed to fill and I was a perfect fit for it. Was it a left-sided center back? It kind of was because we played this interesting system. Um, it was a center back role, a ball playing center back role. And so in possession, we would go to a three at the back because our right well, right back loved to bomb on. So it would be like this pendulum. So it would be a back four defending. I'll be the left side of center back defending. And then in possession, we went to a back three and the right back turned into a right winger so you became the, the center center back or almost a defensive midfielder if you took a couple steps up sometimes yeah mm. and so i was playing the attacking wise i was playing in the middle of a back three and defensive wise i'm playing in the left side of a back left center back of a back four um so two birds with one stone i was learning all these different things like or learning different positioning and stuff like that but yeah i slotted straight in my personal qualities as a player what they were looking for everything was just perfect fit for what they wanted um and we went on like a 13 game win streak from the time that i got that well, i think prior to i'd been there and then by the time we our first like loss or draw we'd won 17 straight and i think i was there for like the first like or the the 11 of those or something like that um i'd have to get proper stats but we we were just we were just like clockwork we just knew the system we had players that knew the system um training was just really well run the the f- formation everything everyone knew their roles if we had an injury people would just slot and do their job and get on with it it was unreal like it was it was a fantastic environment um and it was really really good because we had some really experienced guys who had played in the a-league um we had guys that were banging in 30 goals a season so one guy had 20 assists or something like that Ooh. and so we just we just like just got on with Got on with the job. And, and made your job as a defender a little easier when you weren't just winning one nothing every game. Definitely. Um, but then for me, it was great because I was I was the fir- first part of the build-up. So you receive it from your goalkeeper and, and you play. Yeah, you were the ball-playing centre-back. I'd play the pivot sort of as a centre-back. And um, it was fantastic. And then when we had to defend, we defended. And we were a fit team and, and we just we did well. But yeah, we outscored teams and we just, we just had a lot of fun. Um, and then we... We went so that like all the teams in the Bris- in the Queensland NPL are pretty close between the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, and Brisbane. So you're never more than a two hour drive. But then one team, um, Magpies, they're up in Mackay, which is like a eight or nine hour drive. So you get one away trip. You get one away <laughs> trip. And we so we had this away trip. We were sitting in pole position at that stage in the season. Games in hand. Our striker that scored thirty goals that season had been sick that week, so he didn't travel. Um, and but the rest of us went we took some of the under 18 players and things like that and magpies are at the bottom of the league not expecting to to do anything to us and we've gone up they take they don't start our two former a-league player or they don't even play they don't even dress our two former a-league players and they don't start um three key players and one of them was myself he was like we got to give this other guy a run and I assume they're trying to get you arrest. And they, yeah, for, so even though you traveled the whole well, way. Yeah, they. I mean, arrest hadn't. I didn't really have much rest because I'd gone season, 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 sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't eligible for the FFA Cup because I played in the FFA Cup for the team I was with in Melbourne, and we had an FFA Cup game coming up. And so they're like, "Oh, this is perfect. We'll give the guy that I've come in to replace a game so that he can get back used to the system." Uh, yeah, of okay. And so we. We start with a, a weaker team. Um, I think everyone agrees with that. And 
we have an 18-year-old right back playing that bombing on right wing back sort of thing. He scores an absolute banger. We go up, I think, two... He scores the second goal as well. He scores two goals on debut as an 18-year-old. We go up 2-0 or 3-0 at halftime, maybe 3-1 at halftime. We're flying. Um, but somewhere in there, the coach was pissed because the defence was like shambolic. <laughs> we're watching the back line and I'm just like, oh, my head's gone. Um and and we were like we were susceptible at the back for sure. Um, we go out there, we lose four three. I didn't get on. Like they didn't even put me on. They, how think, many how many substitutions were allowed? Three. So um, it's, it's regular FIFA rules. Yeah, and I don't. I, I, there wasn't really any point in putting on a centre back um, because we didn't think we were going to keep leaking goals. We we put on guys that could score goals. Yeah, but just there was all. They, it shit just went downhill. <laughs> um, and we're just watching it from the sidelines with all the experienced guys, like the Ayla guys, and we're just like, what's going on here? We get in the change and we get absolutely ripped to shreds. And I'm obviously like, I'm confused. I'm like, why the f- have I not played? Like, like I haven't, it, and I, I knew the reasoning why they'd play the other guy and things like that. Um, and I'm sitting on the pavement waiting to get on the bus after the game and the coach has walked past me up and he's just been like, I should have played you. Sorry. That was it. And I was just like, okay, he's, he acknowledges it. We're fine. Um, but yeah, we'd been ripped one in the, ripped a new one in the change rooms. And then the first question we had was like, can we still win the league? And it was like, mm, maybe not. We'd, we'd kind of lost our advantage in that one game. I guess you guys probably, the, the team probably didn't start like that well before the big win streak. No. And was there just another team that was also... Like, there was a team that was keeping up um, and doing well and we were playing them the next week. Okay. And we'd had this away trip. We'd been poor. The first back day back in training, the coach brought us all in again in, in the changing rooms and was like, he apologized. He took full ownership of it. Um, and he was like, he should have traveled because he scores 30 goals a season. doesn't matter if he's sick. You should have played. You should have played. You should have played. And we were like, yep, but it's over now. We got, we got a league to try and win. Um, we went out and played the team that was closest to us and we lost two nil, I think. Um, so we've lost two in a row and those are our two games in hand. And next thing you know, you see us in third or fourth place and we're like, we might be battling for playoffs now because the top four was playoffs. Um, we managed to to turn it back around and 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 get back a few games and get a few wins in there. In all of this, in my time in Brisbane, um, my mum was sick. She was sick from April of 2016. And when I first got to the team in Brisbane, I spoke to the coach and I was like, look, like this is this is the situation. I think she's doing all right for now. Um, but there's a potential that I might have to go home. I don't know what stage it was. I think it was after we lost those two games. We had a couple more games. We won a couple. But I got a call from my sister um, that my mother only had three months to live. And so... I had gone to the th- two of the the captain and then the two two senior guys on the team and be like, look, this is my situation. This is what I'm potentially looking to do. Are you guys okay with it? 
because I'd already gone to their head coach and he was like, I'm fine with what you want to do. And they were fully supportive of it. Um, and so what I what I proposed to them was like, well, look, like I'll train on Friday, I'll play on Saturday, I'll fly home on Sunday. So it was only a three-hour flight from Brisbane to Christchurch and then a one-hour flight from Christchurch to Nelson or a five-hour drive from Christchurch to Nelson. So I, I did that for the first week. I played the game, well, I trained, played the game, flew back home, spent time at home for four days, flew back to Australia on the Thursday and then did that again the second week. Um, and after the second week of doing it, I got back to Brisbane. I was like, yeah, she's actually doing all right. Like, I, I felt like she'd been, she was doing all right. There was a lot of life still on her face, even if her body wasn't quite um, there. And We could talk about the whole journey and the whole, it would be a whole day we'd talk about it, but... I wasn't there from from April of 2016 through till July of 2019. Yeah, July of 2019. I was never there. I never met a doctor, never saw a nurse, never went to a treatment, never did any of that. So the picture that I got was from mum. The picture that she portrayed was this positive, healthy, mentally strong woman in the face of adversity whereas the picture that my dad and my sister got was reality from doctors and scans and things like that and mum didn't never saw scans because she didn't want to knock her mental state so i never was told too much about it until that three month statement and they were like yeah we kind of have to tell you that one um because they got to see the size of the growth and things like that and so all i got was mum's side of the story and so i share i continued that side of it with her because i knew she needed that support and in the two times that i'd gone home during this whole um whole ordeal when i was in brisbane or whatever we had conversations of planning for the worst and i was like screw that i was like nah like you can't be like that they're like yeah we kind of have to be but yeah so i've gone back the second time and then i've gone back to australia we've played a game i was was still playing which is fantastic because what i said to them is i need football um as much as i need family time i need football and and money didn't matter at that stage like i was i didn't care where booked flights didn't matter and so i needed to play i needed to train i needed to be part of the group and and things like that so i've gone back um we've played a game we'd had a planned team night out for 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 a long time because we didn't have one after that game so we've had this team night out and so brisbane is two hours ahead of or two hours behind new zealand I've gotten in at 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, by that stage, I was probably sobered up a little bit. Um, I've gone to sleep. I've slept an hour and a half. And I've been woken up to a phone call at 5.30 Australia time, which is 7.30 New Zealand time. And it's my sister and my mum had passed away. Mm. And um, and so I I hadn't been ready for that at all. But I called the coach. I mean, I sent a message to the coach, the assistant coach, um, and said this is what's up and it was like seven in the morning i'd slept one and a half hours yeah um i booked a flight that out that night and flew back to new zealand um and got back to new zealand and got to nelson that next day and i stayed at home for like two and a half weeks so i didn't have football that whole time but so that's just a little interlude in the whole thing we had qualified for playoffs and so I'd planned to come back again before the playoffs so that I could get ready again to play the semi-final and final. Um, spent the two and a half weeks at home and we 
had all the whatever you had to do um things like that and all the all the tough stuff and i went back and played that first game back and then we had the semi-final and maybe i was i may not have been in a mental space to play um dad actually came over for the semi-final because it was like he was home alone my sister lived in a different city she lived yeah. in Christchurch, and it was like yeah dad should come watch and most places I've been, someone can come to watch me. When I was in Sweden, I had an uncle. When I was in England, my mum and my sister came. Like So I'd, most places I've been, they'd come and watch me. And so dad came over and, and, and watched the semi-final, which I watched from the bench. Um, <laughs> and he watched from the stands and I didn't get on, but we won that semi-final 2-1 because we, we actually ended up fourth. You dropped that far. We dropped that far. And we played the first place team and it was a team we hated. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we beat them 2-1 and there was like, there was a bit of scuffles here and there and, and, and things like that. And I've watched from the bench and yeah, I, I, I guess Ben, the coach, may have thought that I may not have just been there. He, we, sure. never, we never discussed it. They they just played the way they played, um, which was fine. Like that's football. I, I accept that. Yeah, of course, I, I was part of this team that got us to the semi-finals and i'd played a huge role after coming in we but then yeah i'd been away for a couple of weeks and that toyed with a few different things and things like that um and play the semi-final we win the semi-final have a great weekend with dad and, and see a bit of australia and things like that and then we build up to the final and and they just keep the same lineup from the semi-final which is understandable um and we play the final where was the final oh the final so the final was at a neutral ground and our club was greek i'm gonna make sure i got that right <laughs> in affiliation our, there'd the, be some fighting words the affiliation <laughs> that our club had was greek um and we were playing gold coast knights and the gold coast or mo all the the knights teams in australia so like there was an olympic in brisbane which was us there was an olympic in in sydney there was an olympic in melbourne there was just like and they were all, all greek. greek and so that all the knights were were all croatian in the different places okay so it was a greeks versus the croats for this for the grand final of mpl i saw a question up there what's the best uh environment you've played in this was unbelievable we've got three and a half thousand fans filling the stand greeks versus croats and a bunch of people in the middle <laughs> and there is flares there is chanting there is all sorts going on here i've sat the bench um watching it all unfold and i'm like this is pretty amazing this is really cool um for domestic football in australia the sure. passion the pride everything like that it went to show that australia needed to ha needs to have a second professional league you yeah. can't just in australia it's so big you can't just have 12 or 10 or 12 pro teams they need to have it because there's enough money right as we found out from state league one where i was hey right um so <laughs> unmarked unmarked bills yeah so um the, it was an incredible environment um and we go down two nil um i don't know what stage of the game we went down two nil but we missed a couple chances we just didn't play we just hadn't been playing our best um and it's about the middle of the second half. I come on as a centre-back to push one of the guys for, further forward. I play about 10 minutes at centre-back. And after those 10 minutes, we got four strikers and I'm one of them. 
and two of them are centre backs. The other two are actually strikers. And your job's to bring the ball down and, and, and lay it and off. And we're or? just we're just causing havoc up here. <laughs> um, I think we had a free kick or a corner, and it's come across. One of our guys has gone up for it. I've gone up behind him, and it's been turned into the back of the net by their player. And I've just grabbed the ball and run back to halfway. And because I've grabbed the ball, the announcers and and the people doing the social media thought I scored the goal. So, yeah. so I've got I've got Eric Panzer scored a goal in the grand final. <laughs> Not a chance. I didn't even get close. <laughs> um, but anyway, we get back and and like it's a mad dash for the last like ten minutes trying to trying to get an equalizer, go to extra time or whatever. We just didn't and we just couldn't find it. So we lost two one and full time flares, bear cans, everything just onto the field. Like you got Croatians running on the field, you got Greeks running on the field. It's like, whoa, like what's going on here? Like it was quite crazy. And our team had lost the grand final the year before. I didn't have that emotion or that attachment like some of my players did. And so for them, they were quite emotional and quite distraught because they'd lost the year before to another team. I'd lost a lot more in the last month sure. than, than most of them. And so I was a bit indifferent, just standing there quite numb, just soaking it all in and not really worried about football because over the course of the last four years, I've created this identity that, isn't affiliated with football and there's Eric Panzer, the human outside of it. And so I've, I've developed that, that side to it all. Um, and I'm just sitting there being like, could be a lot worse. Um, as I, as I knew people, some of those boys will probably look at me and think, Oh, you're a bit of a dick, but, um, <laughs> but no, that was just how it, they, I'd, I'd come to be as a person like that game was over I think I had one of the last touches on the ball and it was me picking up to throw do a throw in because I was just running everywhere to try and do something and I think it was me picking up the ball to do a throw in and the final whistle goes and guys are crumbling on the field and I'm just like hmm. okay cool what's next I had no idea um, and so that experience obviously ends and some of our boys like we got the silver medals and they took them off or they threw them away. Like, no joke, they left them in the changing rooms or stuff like that because they were so bitter about having one the year before, which is fair enough. Like they, My experience is completely different to their experience. Sure. Yeah, um, That's why I am who I am and that's why they are who they are. And, um, yeah, it was a tough old time. I don't know if we went out that night or not. No, we waited till we had our prize giving the following week. Um, had a great night out with the boys. Um and the staff and all that, the, the, and then I, I left, went to Mel- went back to Melbourne for a bit of a tour and things like that, and then went home to New Zealand. And I was at home for a couple of weeks, and it was the first time I'd really been at home prior to one summer that I came back from Quinnipiac after an absolute epic journey. After like un- a, an incredible time in life, um, I'd been at home for those two weeks when she'd passed, but like those two weeks flew by because it was different thing after different thing after different thing. Yeah. yeah. And this time I was at, I was home like decompressing everything that had gone on. Um, and yeah, the, what this is, this is like September of, um, 2019 and I'm home and the national league in New Zealand was starting up again in August. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> and there's obviously a, there's a, t- there's a team in my home region. It was, it was time for 
I mean, I was home and it kind of felt kind of right. I knew this new coach that they'd brought in. We'd had a couple discussions. I lay out my offer on the table based on what I knew had gone on in the past at the club, based on me living at home and things like that. Excuse me. Um, I, yeah, I lay my offer on the table after having like three conversations. Didn't hear a peep back. Um, didn't even say thanks for the interest nothing so that was that and so then i'd been talking i'd i'd spoken to paul at southern again when i was actually in australia and i was like he was like look take all the time you want he knew mum he'd met mum mum had come down to um dunedin to watch games so he and he understood it um and things like that he was really supportive through it he sent me a poem and things like that it was quite special and i was actually surprised i thought he was going to come to the funeral all the way from dunedin but he didn't um no offense to the guy. I just thought he, the type of person he was, I thought he was going to be there. Um, but so I'd spoken to him when I was in Australia. And he's just like, look, like take all the time you need. Like we're in no rush. We know the quality you have and who you are and, and what you bring. Um, but we'd love to have you back um, and things like that. And after the, the opportunity for, or the, the conversation didn't really arise to anything with the team in my hometown and speaking with dad and being like, nah, you probably shouldn't, you don't want to be here. Um, it, it would just be too hard um, I, do, I wouldn't have had a job and things like that I was looking for a job that was one of the things that I asked the club to do for me but they yeah whatever and so <laughs> it was like go to somewhere where you're, you're happy and you enjoy it and things like that and my environment that I had in, in Dunedin was I enjoyed it the last year um, I could yeah I'd go to the beach every day like I could surf play football enjoy it with a good group of guys and, and so I made the decision to go back there again um, and re-sign with them and I joined up with them and then the first game of the season we played my team from my hometown and we smashed them (laughs) (laughs) 4-0. Felt good, did it? It A little little decompression. It felt so good but then it turned out one of our players hadn't properly been registered. Oh, no. And they've just snaked their way and won three points and when by the time that had processed we, we were like, a third of the way into the season and we've dropped from sitting in third or fourth to seventh and it's just smashed up like everything that we like that we've done it's a six pointer and oh it was mass it was a six to nine pointer really it was just really like it was tough and so but either way like it was it was a great feeling um yeah knocking that off um and the experience i had there was it was similar I was surfing like two or three times a week sometimes All right. and, and things like that. I was doing some work that was kind of related to what I'd studied and, and what I enjoyed and, and I was meeting a lot of good people again. Um, but I think in the back of Paul's mind, he didn't know if I was quite there. Um, he thought he he often felt like if I was performing bad or whatever that I had thoughts in my mind of, of what had gone on with mum and stuff like that. And I don't know if he was using it. I don't think he was using an excuse, but sometimes it felt like he thought I was using that as an excuse. And not at all for me. Um, but that was just what was going on. And then the club was going through a lot of challenges with that the player being ineligible, losing three points, and financials were, were being tough or whatever. And I went home at Christmas. I, I'd actually got dropped from the match day squad the game before Christmas and I went home at Christmas and took a good hard think about what I wanted to do or whatever and I'd 
been in touch with an agent here in the States um, because I wanted to come back to America. Hey, now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I'd been in touch with this guy and, and we were working on different things and he was getting all the footage from my games and, and things weren't going so well um, within the environment and things like that. And I went home and it was another one of those where it was like, I'll go back there, but there's a potential that I'm going to leave pretty quick um, to come over to America because it was when trial season was, like January, February. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd gone back and I I came on at halftime one game and had a great second half. And then I started the next game, I think. But then it was, that was like, that was it kind of thing. And, And then the coach came to me and kind of gave me a way out and I'm pretty sure he was looking out for me because the ship went sinking from from a few weeks after I left. There was myself and another senior player from New Zealand and we'd both been there for the two years and I don't know if it was financially, um, there was problems or stru- like infrastructure, whatever, but the head coach ended up leaving two weeks after I left. Oh, wow. Mm. He'd come in four years ago with all these Irish guys, built this whole thing up, built the academy, brought yeah. these guys in. And he was the reason why the club turned from a bottom of the league team to we were fighting for for the two years I was there we were fighting for top four, um, and he turned it around. I didn't know. I kind of had a feeling he was potentially going to leave, and so I think he was looking out for myself and the other guy, being like, "I know you guys like to go take other opportunities or whatever." And he kind of gave me a way out, and he was like, "Look, we're willing to release you um, without any without any problems." and and things like that and it was like okay cool like, i was like i want to fight and stay but he's like look i don't you probably just don't <laughs> you probably don't want to and i think so i think he was kind of like looking out for me yeah for he, sure, he, sure. Knew, he knew what was gonna come and so it was like okay well yeah i'll see i'll see you guys later thanks for the year and a half i'd had um and i went to christchurch and lived with my sister and when I got there, it was like, I could be here a month. I could be here a week. I don't know. And I think I, I went via um, Mount Cook, which is the highest mountain in New Zealand. And it was, I just took two days off, slept in a tent once again. It rained, so I slept in my car a little bit. Um, but I hiked, a, I hiked a couple trails. You have terrible luck when road tripping, by oh, the way. seriously. Um, <laughs> hiked a couple trails, just detached from everything, connected with nature. And I was by myself and I'm an introvert. I loved it. Um and just saw some amazing sights and and did some pretty cool walks and and things like that and they ended up in Christchurch with my sister and I think I arrived on a, on a Wednesday or maybe even a Thursday and I was I don't know how long I could be here and and I've been in touch with my agent here in the states and I was like look this is the situation I'm free to go whenever and I think on the Thursday or Friday he was like look I've got a club in this league um this is the name of the club and it's chattanooga fc they're interested in you they they want to have a look at you um and here's some details on it or whatever and i was like i got nothing to lose here i come 
and so i flew out on the saturday so i stayed three days with my sister if i yeah. was going to stay longer than the week they were going to charge me rent <laughs> um, <laughs> and so i um shout out to your sister for being yeah, a hard ass yeah hey we we look after each other but we'll we'll stay tough Keep on it real. Each other. she may have been extra looking out for yeah. you she knew you didn't need to be there yeah and so i well, in the time that i was there i actually trained with a local club that played in my, the old league that I played in when I was growing up. And the head coach of that team was my coach when I was the captain of the Canterbury United under-19s wow. team. So full circle there. Yeah, I reconnected with him. For just a handful. Of- literally trained, trained one evening with the club and had uh, coffee with him one morning um, and spoke about different things. And, and then I jetted off on the Saturday. Um, and 30 hours later, I... <laughs> I ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And now, real here I am. Real quick, why, why were you starting to think about coming back to the states to play? Um, it's a great question. It's a great question. There's a few things. I had unfinished business in the states. I think um, I'd always wanted to to play and compete at a at a level in the states where I was where I enjoyed it and where I was comfortable with it and I wanted to really see how far I can get in, in football and I have a passport. Why not use it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Dome- I mean, as you know, domestic player helped. status matters. It certainly has, but yeah, we love that. The other, <laughs> the other side of it is I hadn't seen my friends from college since 2016. Most of them knew my mum. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen them in three and a half, four years and everything that had gone on, I wanted to reconnect. They were they're my closer friends because yeah. that was mm. the most recent experience sort of thing. Like I've got my high school friends. I spent time at home with them. A bunch of them came when things were tough and everything. But I wanted to reconnect with my friends from, from college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was – another reason why I wanted to come back to the States was to be closer to them. Little did I know I was going to end up in Tennessee and all my friends live on the East Coast and <laughs> in New York and, and – and, uh, <laughs> Massachusetts and, yeah. and Connecticut, things like that. Connecticut to here is not a five-hour drive. No, it certainly isn't. But then little did I know that traveling in an airplane would be unheard of in 2020. Yeah, yeah. true. Um, so it's completely wiped some of the plans. But the, the main reason why I came was to play football and, yeah. and test myself and, and see how far I can get. Um, that's the reason why I play is one for adventure and, and and two for I'm trying to become the best I can be with whatever level that may be, how good can I be as a footballer? Yeah. Um, and so America was the next step, I, I guess. And, and, and yeah, here I am. And you arrived, you were on trial and you so we signed you, obviously. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> he is wearing a CFC buff for anyone who yes, uh, sure can't see. Is. And I, um, yeah, I mean, I know we're well over time here because my CFC one could be a whole nother podcast. Well, so we were, we, so we were, we were just thinking, how about you're coming how, back? How, like there's yeah. no, there's like, no, you're coming back. So like we, we've taken you up to CFC. Yeah. Obviously like a whole global pandemic has happened mm-hmm. since you arrived. And everyone, Thanks for bringing that by the way. And everyone here, when I left New Zealand, right. I think the the pandemic kind of started mid-January and it wasn't really taken too seriously. Right. But when I was boarding my plane in New Zealand, there was a few masks. Yeah. And there was a few concerns. What month was that? It was February 1st. Mm-hmm. 
and there was a few concerns but there was no no real evidence or anything behind it or anything and um yeah i just got on a plane and came i hadn't been in contact with anyone from the asian area or anything like that and that's where the virus had started yeah i think new zealand there'd been like uh cruise ships had come into new zealand and and that was the most concerning thing but there was no way that I'd been exposed to it or whatever, but people didn't even know what the goddamn thing was. So, And they still don't. I mean, they some still, people still so, don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. New Zealand's back to normal. Yeah, I was just going to say, you might have picked the wrong place to come to during a pandemic. <laughs> I had a few people apologize to me saying, sorry, I had to come back to America in the yeah. middle of a global crisis. Yeah, yeah. But One half of your uh, passport, your, your dual passport, uh, seems to have crushed this virus literally and figuratively, and the other half seems to have done well. Anyway, we won't get too far off yeah. topic, but well, we're not doing so great. So... Where where I was going with this is like there's a there's a whole other story here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what what you've been doing here, how you've managed your time, like no football for a while. How how the last six months has felt like for everyone. Yeah, six years. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, like getting the new teammates. You know, Tennessee is not Connecticut. Like, there's yeah. this whole yeah. another life you've lived. So how about we do this? How about we we end this thing at. Six hours or whatever it's been now. <laughs> six six excellent hours, by the way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and no we're gonna we're gonna make plans to bring you back, cool. uh, preferably with a teammate of yours. So you can yeah. talk about your time in Chattanooga together, maybe yeah. with whoever yeah. we bring. Yeah. Bring so back. so for listeners who are coming back, and we continue to not know why they choose to do so, we have sort of a, a normal format. But your story is like way. Like that, that needed to be. I think. Like, yeah, thank God we didn't have another person in here. Yeah, because yeah. they'd have been chilling. They wouldn't have said a word. But <laughs> they like could that, have been, they could have been another co-host. Yeah, that needed that needed to be told, like for sure. And I and and I hope like one of my favorite parts about that whole thing is you tell your story and then now with your involvement with the youth system that we have and stuff. I it not that I wasn't confident before, but hearing your. Uh, ideologies and and the reason you play football and stuff like that it I, it makes me really confident to know that there's somebody who has that thought process who's been in that like global position you've played literally all over the world to bring that kind of experience and that story needed to be told and it could not fit in a normal podcast well thank you yeah. and you know so let's put a pin in it right there um, Eric, why don't you tell folks where they can find you on social media if they want to look you up before part two, and then part two will happen uh, at a later to be determined date. Okay. Um, the best best thing to see or find me on social media is on Twitter, and it's epanzer underscore nz. Um, Panzer with a z. Look in the show <laughs> notes. Um, yeah, it's probably best there. And then if you want to see my website, which has my blog, it has my football career. It has my psychology work. It has my community work. It has press and media. Um, that's ericcpanzer.com. So Eric with a K, C, Um Those are the, probably the two best places. And in the near future, yes, there will be an at Eric Panzer Football Instagram page. Interesting. That is being. Worked, worked on. on and <laughs> soon to come to life. That's a that's a that's a nugget gem that all of you will be experiencing in the future. And not that anybody cares, but Breezy, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the internet, Canigleo. You can find me on Twitter at whiskey is fine, and you can find me on Instagram at 
uh, letter J, and on Twitter at the Section 109 Pod. Uh, fellas, this has been long and incredible. Yeah, really good. And uh, dinner's downstairs, so why don't we go do that? Sounds All right, great. let's end it. Cheers.